What's up, podcast world? Chad Belding back at you. Another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Traeger Grill, Salt Lake City, Utah. If you haven't gotten your Traeger yet, you have to. The new line, the Pro Series, the Ironwood, the Timberline 1300 or the 850. I'm telling you guys, the D2 power system. Get the app. Get online. Use your Wi-Fi to set the temp. You don't even need to open the lid once you close it with whatever you have on there. Last night, we did tri-tips, bruschettas, we did ribs, we did brisket, we did asparagus, we did peaches, we did all kinds of stuff, and it all came out perfect. A lot of people in the room actually said it was the best barbecue that they ever had put in their mouth. I also heard some grumblings and in, in, in people saying that you cannot barbecue or grill a steak on a Traeger. And my guest today was one of the men that said that. And it's very humbling to have this man with me. He literally, I don't need to kiss his ass. I will not do that because he doesn't like that. He's not that kind of person. But growing up, he was literally our childhood hero, not just myself, but my brother, Clint, my brother, Clay. The first baseball team that I was ever on was 1982 Valley Providence Little League T-Ball, the Kansas City Royals. I had bangs. We wore corduroy jeans when we played back then. Our bangs hanging out of our hat. We had uh, a whack T-shirt with the KC logo on the front that said Independent Sanitation on the back. And that's what brought, got us into being Royals fans. From that day on, we became Kansas City Royal fans. And through the years, mom and dad would take us down to Oakland, California to watch the Royals play the Oakland Athletics. And we got to see some great baseball. And without further ado, my guest today is none other than, I don't even know how to say like what he's accomplished, but he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's Mr. Royal himself, George Brett. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, it's good to be here, Chad. It really is. Did you have fun last night? I had, I had too much fun. You did? I had. I didn't feel very good when I woke up this morning. That's how much fun I had. <laughs> but it, it was one of those nights to where it was just, you, didn't, you don't want that kind of night to end once it starts. Uh, well, it went on a little longer than I thought it was going to be. I haven't stayed up till midnight in a long time, and that's what time I, th I think I finally got to bed. But, you know, I was the guy that said, you can't cook a, a, a steak on a Traeger, you know, because you need the coals and you need all that stuff. And, uh, you know, I knew you could do ribs, which we, which we had brisket last night and we had some short ribs, but it was, it was word spread that you were coming over. And I thought we were going to have five or six people. I think there was 14 people here for dinner last night. We didn't even sit at, sit at a table. We just all crowded around the island in the kitchen. And as Chad was cutting everything, everybody was reaching over and grabbing it. It was, uh, it was quite the meal. Do you, do you think that you could pick one of your favorites last night. Was there one that stood out or was it all legit? Well, I think the tri-tip was the best. I, I'm, I'm, I like brisket, but I'm really not a brisket guy. I thought the ribs were terrific, but the tri-tip I thought was my favorite. Tell me about that recipe because Chad went with your recipe on that tri-tip and that was something to where you actually cut slits in the meat and stuff it. Yeah, uh, this is a friend of mine, Jim Obradovich, who I went kindergarten through high school with in Southern California. And uh, he's a great green egger. And I was sending him pictures last night of the Traegers in the backyard and all the food we were cooking. And he texted me back. He said, is that thing for real? Should I get a Traeger? I said, yes, you have to get one. That's the real deal. And it's very easy to work. If I, you know, I, I love to grill. Uh, I grill probably, if I'm home five nights in a row, I'll grill four nights probably. And I have a uh, Alfresco gas grill. I have a ABS barbecue smoker. And I have the green egg, and now I'm going to start using the Traeger. Yeah. But it was it was so good. But so, anyway, Jimmy always cooks on a uh, he always cooks on uh, on a green egg, 
And whenever I'm in Manhattan Beach, we always have dinner at the house, and he usually does that. But what he does is he gets little garlic slivers, and uh, he puts slivers in the meat, and then he sticks those in there, and then he puts some rosemary in there with them and just cooks it. I, don't, I just think he puts, uh, like, salt and pepper on it. But last night, we had the super-duper rub that Chad brought, and, and uh, we also did that. I just thought it was just perfect. It was cooked. I mean, just, it was cooked perfect. Everything was cooked perfect. Yeah, did, and you, that rosemary came out of your garden, did it? Uh, well, I have a little rosemary garden in my backyard. Uh, I got those peppers out peppers of my backyard. Out. Yeah, and we put those in with the asparagus. Yeah. And uh, so we put, did that. But uh, uh, I really don't trust my rosemary. I got that at the store. You did. It looks good, though, in the backyard. Do you have a, a garden in Arizona, too, or just in Kansas? I have a, a cilantro garden there. Everything that you need for cilantro. So when you're, when you're talking about actually growing things, is this something that you come up with or is this your wife that does the gardening? No, well, neither of us really do it. <laughs> is your kids that do it? Uh, well, Dylan uh, just got a house in the house. He, my, Dylan's my middle one. He's 25. Um, he just got a house. And the guy that used to live there was a huge gardener. He used to love to grow his own lettuce and peas and you know you name it he grew it and so he's got this beautiful garden in his backyard and and when he moved in it wasn't the right time to do it to plant stuff up in about another week or two weeks i think is the time and we're going to go to the store and get a bunch of stuff and just start planting it it's going to be pretty good when you were when you were traveling you you played really were somewhere around 80 home games 82 81 81 home games and 81 away games when you're in the major right. leagues when you're on the road obviously you're probably eating out most nights with your teammates or by yourself or whatever you choose to do i'm sure you developed a network to where people would invite you to their houses but when you were at home living there you got married later in life in your 40s so when you're single man playing baseball for the Kansas City Royals did you develop a passion for cooking at all when you were single and did you start when you were home and and not not on the road were you cooking every night after the game or before only the game? on the off days because you can't cook it you know I, i'm not going to get up and cook myself a, a, a big lunch uh, i would always go to the same restaurant uh, or i'd go to the plaza area uh for lunch there's a bunch of restaurants down here in kansas city uh so you have your pick of the litter but i'd usually go down there about 12 30 for lunch every day get to the stadium about 2 30 but the only time i would ever cook is off days sunday day game maybe if we had a sunday day game or a saturday day game invite a bunch of buddies over go in the backyard grill i didn't, really didn't know what i was doing but you know it's tough to screw up a hamburger or a steak it you put it on you, you play with it a little bit and then you take it off but uh no i've always loved to cook how hard was it for, I'm just, you saying you went to lunch every day. How hard was it for you to get around in this city? I mean, no, it's not, it's not It was bad. never bad. It, no, you were never it's just, not that bad. It's not, never, it's not Patrick Mahomes-like, you know, he's afraid to leave his house here in Kansas City right now. Uh, I didn't have a lot of instant, instant success like he had. You know, my first year in the big leagues, I hit, uh, well, I was here for a month and a half. Uh, I hit 125 and the next year I hit 282. And then I started hitting 300 a bunch of years. But, uh, uh, you know, it, when I was younger, it was a little difficult. The older you get and the longer you've been around, the more people have seen you, the more people leave you alone. And Patrick's only been here for one year. Well, two years, actually. He didn't play his first year, so no one really knew who he was. And then he, last year, we all know what he did. And uh, and he's as, he's as big as anybody's ever been in this town right now. Have you met him? Yeah, I played golf with him. Yeah. Nice, nice he's, he's, he's too good to be true. He really is a good guy and uh, a hard worker. Um, I've heard nothing but great things about him, uh, you know, with the Chiefs. I went out to their uh, camp uh, a week and a half ago with my, th took my three boys out there uh, up in St. Joe. 
And it's amazing. It's a, it was a full pad workout, and they were doing the 20-play drill, which is 20 straight offensive plays. And that's a long time for those guys to be on the field, um, especially the Chiefs because they don't have prolonged drives. They usually score a touchdown in three or four plays, right. and then the defense you know, has to go on the field. But uh, they did this one drill, and after about 10 plays, I, I saw Patrick clapping his hands. He's going, let's go. Come on, let's go. Come on, bear down. Let's go. And it was really encouraging to see that a guy that's 23 years old or maybe just turned 24, his second year as quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, be such a leader, you know, and everybody responded to him. I, I thought it was fantastic. Are, were you surprised in the, in the way that you don't see a lot of athletes when you're at spring training or within the organization? Do you see a lot of guys that age that step up and take a leadership no. role and have that kind of discipline? No, you don't. You don't. What brings that on? Is that parenting or is that coaching? Is what? Where do you get that discipline? Because you had it. You you were born in West Virginia. You moved to California. You grew up playing baseball in California. You had three older brothers. One of your older brothers, Ken, actually pitched in the 1967 World Series, right? Right. You told me that at a young age, like 18 or 19. 19, just graduated high school. And he's in the World Series. Well, he graduated high school in 66 and pitched in the World Series in 67. That's you, pretty good. Could you imagine? No. What did he have? What was it? Was it fastball? Fastball back then. Yeah. And that was in the days when you had to do military service, you know? So he was in the reserves. So during the, he was in AAA a cup uh, the next year. And, um, and he had to leave for two weeks to do his his military obligation and uh, didn't pick up a baseball for two weeks, was busy, you know, marching and shooting guns and stuff like that, uh, I guess. And um, went back and tried to, pick up right where he left off and hurt his elbow. And then he became a finesse pitcher after that. But uh, when he came up, they said he threw really, really hard. What year did you graduate high school? I graduated 71. So 71, he'd been in the big league since 67, four years already. Are you, are you on your way? Are you in high school looking at it? Like your scouts telling you, yeah, your little, are they telling Ken your little brother, George has got what it takes. Well, Do you they, have an idea that you're going to get. My, my high school coach thought I was pretty good. Uh, my dad didn't think I was very good, but my senior year, a lot of, a lot of scouts came and started watching us play. I was very fortunate, Chad. I played on a really good high school baseball team. Um, we lost in the state championship my junior year and beat the team that beat us my junior year, my senior year. And they had two number one picks on their team, on, on Lompoc, a guy named Roy Thomas and a guy named Roy Howell. Um, and I was a second round pick. There was uh, six seniors on my team. We had three juniors playing. All six seniors got drafted. We lost one game that year. We lost one nothing to Arcadia High School. It's amazing how you can remember this stuff. Yeah. And um, so we had six guys drafted. I was the first guy drafted. Uh, I was the 29th pick in the draft. So it was the fifth pick in the second round because there was 24 teams in. And uh, then the next year we had a guy on our team who was our best player. He was the first, he was a first round draft pick by the New York Yankees, Scott McGregor, who won 20 games in the big leagues. And I think he pitched game seven of the world series when he was with Baltimore and, and, and won that game. But uh, so we had a really good team. So obviously the more, the, the better your team is, the more scouts are going to come out to visit you. And uh, I had a good year my senior year. I didn't have any college scholarships to go anywhere. And uh, next thing you know, I got drafted in the second round. I, I jumped on that opportunity. And uh, two years later, I was in the big league. So it, it, it all worked out great. Two things. You said that your dad didn't think you were that good, but you end up going in the second round. Was he just that kind of guy to where he was so so hard on you he that he was, wasn't going to tell you that you're good? Yeah, he was He was tough. Uh, he always compared me to my other brothers. My other brothers were all really good athletes. Uh, my brother Ken, maybe one of the best athletes ever to come out of Southern California. 
Uh, he could have went to any school in the country as a base on a baseball scholarship or on, on a football scholarship and academic scholarship. I mean, it, he was almost too good to be true. And um, and I wasn't the smartest kid on the block. Um, I wasn't as good as my brother Ken. I wasn't as good as my brother John in some things uh, in football or in basketball. I wasn't as good as my brother Bobby. And I always got compared to my brothers. Oh, your brother Bobby's so much better than you. Well, what that did is it just kept me driving to become better and better and better. And, and, um, and um, you know, I, I, I think the way he raised me, it really worked because I think if I was the type of guy that if I was getting all the accolades and stuff like that, I might have, I might have just put it on cruise control for a while. But no, I kept working harder and harder every year and every day to become the, a better player. And it worked out in the long run. Were you with that kind of discipline? Because I kind of came from the same, the same school of discipline. My dad was your age, but he he came from a father that was just like that, and that's how I was raised as well. Did it get? Did you have a strong relationship and a bond with your dad throughout your childhood and your adolescence and your high school career, well, or did it kind of make it a little bit? No, it. Uh, we didn't get along that well. Um, you know, I'm not saying I hated my dad, but I I was afraid of him. You know, uh, the way he was raised, his dad didn't care what he did. He would go out, stay out all night and never come home or would do whatever he wanted to do. He grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and and uh, he almost went down the wrong path. Uh, and then World War II started and he enlisted and went over to uh, France, got wounded in France and walked with a limp the rest of his life. But uh, I really think the military saved his life and, and we were run like a military family. You know, we, we did all the things you did in the military. You get up, you wash your face, make up your, uh, make up your bed, and then you can eat. We had chores we had to do every day. And if you didn't do it, you know, sometimes it wasn't pretty, but, uh, all my brothers turned out to be very successful. Um, and, uh, and, uh, they've all raised great families and, uh, we're kind of doing a little bit of my father's routine, but not as strict, you know, not as strict. But that regimen, that kind of regimen and that lifestyle with that kind of discipline, do you, do you credit that a lot of your success in, yes. in athletics oh, and family and yeah. all of that? I, I, I never took anything for granted ever, ever. It didn't matter what I did yesterday. What today is the most important day. I got to be better than I was yesterday. My dad, one time we were leaving Yankee or leaving Anaheim stadium. I was going to a party with him. Some of his friends had moved from uh, El Segundo or Manhattan Beach out to uh, Orange County, and they were having a little get-together. And so he wanted me to go. So I said, okay, I'll j just meet you outside the stadium. So we're walking to his car, and it's the same people asking for autographs every night. And uh, and so I'm walking. I'm signing a few, signing a few. And I said, no more. I got to come on. I got to go. And we get in the car, and my dad starts screaming at me. He said, someday – they're not going to ask for your autograph. <laughs> really? Yeah. Started screaming How at me. How old are you at the time? I was probably 27, 28 years old. And he's yelling at you. Yeah. Hey, you're an adult. Oh, my God. I got yelled at a lot, even when I was playing. He called me up one time and told me my brother Ken was a better hitter than I was, and he was a pitcher in the National League. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. So he, but he still got to swing it a little bit in the National League. Yeah, right? he did. He, was, he had a record. Uh, I think he has a record to today. Um, as a starting pitcher, I think he was pitching for the Philadelphia Phillies. Let's say he pitched on a Monday. He had a home run. His next start was Saturday. He hit a home run. His next start was Wednesday. He hit a home run. His next start was Sunday. He hit a home run. And his next start was five days later. He hit a home run there too. Really? Five starts in a row. No way. Yeah. So he used to pinch hit all the time. And one time when he was playing for the White Sox, 
He hit sixth in Fenway Park, and they used a DH for the second baseman. And he hit a double off the green monster. Wow. How great is that? Unbelievable. Yeah. So were you, it, it, were you tight with all three of your brothers, or was it you and Ken that kind of established a friendship more than the others with your baseball? I think my oldest brother, John, and I were the closest. Ken and my brother, Bobby, were, were really close. They were the two closest ones, but my brother, John, always kept an eye out for me. If one yeah. of my brothers, if Ken or my brother, Bobby, you know, was being tough on me, my brother, John, would tell him to leave me alone. Really? Yeah. Were they all there when you got drafted or was, it the, no, was the draft God. like that where everybody got on the couch and like it is today and they, no. and a, a phone call comes in? God, the draft was during the, uh, I think it was during the week. We had just won the state championship and uh, El Segundo uh, played at Anaheim Stadium. And it was like four or five days after that. And I remember our, our uh, high school team had a Kiwanis luncheon that day. And so we're there and all of a sudden I get a phone call uh, from, uh, the Daily Breeze, which is a, uh, uh, my high school coach gets a phone call there. And uh, he says, I got drafted in the second round by the Royals. So they didn't have, it wasn't the fanfare wasn't like it weird. is now. No. You was, yeah, I think when my brother Ken got drafted, it was a phone call and maybe a, uh, uh, what do they call those things that used to come over the ticker tape? You know, he got one of those things. Like a telegram? Yeah, or like something? a telegram. Really? <laughs> yeah. So do you ever in your mind, George, like think like, well, we should have the money today compared to back then and all the, no. does it ever, do, you just, you just take it as it is. And because I hear that sometimes like, Oh, you know, old timers or veterans that played back in the forties and fifties have, they've had interviews with guys that have said like, well, you know, we didn't have a chance to make this kind of money. And then guys that played in the sixties and seventies said, you know what, especially like, we should have made more than we were making at that time, no matter what, have you, have you ever had that mindset? Well, I would have to say that, uh, what do you think Mickey Mantle was saying when I was making $3 million a year? <laughs> <laughs> Mickey Mantle. What do you think Babe Ruth, Ruth was saying when I was making $3 million a year? Yeah. So why am I going to go badmouth these guys? that are, would I, Now, would I have liked to make it? Yeah. Would I like to be playing today? I would love it, Chad. I really would. But it's not going to do any good to think about it, you know? What's the first thing that comes to your mind, though, when you turn on the news and you see that Mike Trout signs a $444 million contract? Some people go, that is ludicrous. There's no way a human being should get that much to play a sport. My mindset is it's a business. If that ownership is willing to, ownership groups willing to pay this kind of money to fill the seats and sell the merchandise and the parking and the beer and da 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 it's a business, right? This Mike Trout is worth every penny or do you look at it like, Hey, there's gotta be some kind of, some kind of standard here or I think a the, rift up. I think the market's going to bear what it can afford. And it just goes to show you what they make in Southern California. You know, what Artie Marino's making with the California angels. It just goes to show you. I mean, he's got a contract with Albert Pujols. That's really, really big. He had us one with that Otani guy. That's pretty good. I think he's still paying the uh, left-hander from Texas that went over Hamilton. there, Hamilton. I think he's still paying him, too. He's not even in the game anymore. I don't think he? he's in the game, but he's still getting paid. Wow. You know? Um, you know what's crazy? The Kansas City Royals, Royals were bought, I think, in 2000 for $95 million. And they're over, worth over a billion dollars today. So the money's somewhere. I don't know where it is. but uh, Did you not try to buy it at that time? We tried to, yeah. You put together was with your brother Bobby. Well, we had a guy. We had a guy that was very, very rich. Ted Waite. Uh, I think he was thirty-nine years old. Worth seven billion dollars. He started Gateway Computers uh, back in the day, and he became a really good friend of mine. And uh, 
when the team came up for sale, when Ewing Kaufman died in 93, uh, the team was run by a trust for like seven years. And um, the trust business was, let's not lose any money. And they didn't lose money, but we lost 100 games every year, you know, for a while. And the franchise kind of went downhill when it became time to buy. David Glass got the team for, I think, 95 million. And it's worth over a billion dollars today. Really? Yeah. So why did they not, were you just in the running or why didn't they entertain? Well, it was, it was a process that they went through and we just never made it to the final stages. Really? Yeah. But you, for whatever reason, I don't know. Have you ever tried that with another organization at all? No. Or is, oh God, I, I couldn't see myself with another organization. I really never couldn't. Never could, no. I, I, it would be really difficult for me to leave here. I started playing in Kansas City, Chad, when I was 20. I'm 66. So I've lived here 46 years. And I, it's, it's too old to, to pack up and leave. This were is you ever up for roots. trade? Were you ever in trade talks I think at one, all? one or two times. I read in a paper when I was uh, probably 1970, oh God, 1974 or five. Um, there was something in the LA paper that I was going to get traded or it was during the winter meetings. And my name was coming up as being traded to the Cincinnati Reds for Tony Perez because the, the big red machine, I think was getting old, you know, they had some guys getting older um, and the Royals were starting to become good and they wanted a veteran player. And I was, you know, kind of young, but I think it was before that. I think it might've been 74, 75. And, um, and, uh, it never happened. And then one year I, th- there was a chance I thought I might get traded to the St. Louis Cardinals. Whitey Herzog was our manager here. He went over there. Uh, he and I were extremely close, uh, still are to this day. I was having a little contract problem with my, uh, with my owner, Ewan Kaufman. Uh, some things were set in the paper. I went to this, uh, uh, world series game over in St. Louis and Whitey got me seats behind home plate and I'm wearing a Cardinal hat. And I think I pissed a lot of people off oh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and I'm glad things didn't work out, you know, in that trade because, uh, you know, I, I just can't see myself putting on another uniform. I can't see myself living in another city. You know, I walk, I, I, I sometimes I think I just wonder, God, what would have happened if I got traded? I would have married some girl from St. Louis probably. And I'd be living in St. Louis. Yeah. No, I like Kansas city and I yeah, like yeah. my wife right. <laughs> and I like my three kids yeah. and I like my dog. <laughs> you know <laughs> and your house and i love my house this place is unbelievable this is considered mission hills a suburb of kansas city yeah it's in the on the kansas side so when you're when you get drafted in 1971 second round how long until your first ab is it 73 that you get your first your first uh, AB I, I played in billings montana my first year which was a great place is the that next single year, a or that's rookie league, league. That's rookie and then league. i went to uh san jose california which is a league so uh, the next year I start in AAA, I skipped AA, which was Jacksonville, Florida. And Jacksonville, they say, was the worst place to play because it's so hot in the summer, you know, and the bus rides were like 17 hours. So I got to skip that and I went to Omaha and then you fly. I was in AAA. And then I got called up for two weeks when our third baseman, then Paul Shaw, sprained his ankle. They called me up. I played the first two games and that was about it. Went one for four, both games, my first two games. One, one, the first one was in Chicago. After that game, we flew to Minnesota. I played the next day, went one for four, and didn't, then didn't play again for two weeks. And uh, then got called up at the end of the season. And then the next year, they were talking about making me a utility player. And so I was catching games in spring training. You know, maybe be the third catcher, be a utility infielder and utility outfielder. 
Um, John Sherholtz, our general manager or assistant general manager, then said, "You know what? Let's let's let just keep him at third base. I think he's going to be a pretty good third baseman." Two weeks into the season, they traded Paul Shaw, and then I got a chance to play every day. He knew what he was talking about. Yeah, he's built some pretty good. You know, John's franchises. a good, good eye for talent, and he not only did a great job here, but he did a great job in Atlanta. And now he's in the Hall of Fame. And now he's in the Hall of Fame. As a general Does he manager. still work for Atlanta? He's the chairman emeritus. Doesn't he have a boy in the business somewhere? He's got a boy, Jonathan, that's a really an up-and-comer. Up he's done a little bit of everything. Minor league director, minor league manager. Now he's in charge of pro scouting. Right before the trade deadline was happening uh, this year, Jonathan came into Kansas City, and he and I went up in a suite, and we just visited for about five innings. I mean, what a great guy. And he's, he's going to be a general manager someday, and he's going to be a really good one. So, so when is when is this, George, and in, in when the, the third baseman gets traded and, and Sherholtz gets his wish of you being the everyday third baseman? That was 1974. So you, you're three years out of high school, and now you're starting to I was to 20 years old. 20 I, years old. What's the talk around the major league? Is Brooks Robinson the third baseman at, the, oh, at that yeah. time? Oh, is he yeah. the man at that time? He's the man. And he's, he's in Baltimore? Or he's Boston? in Baltimore. He's in Baltimore. Uh, he's in Baltimore. Rico Petroselli, I think, was still... Playing, he was he was a good one. Greg Nettles was a good one. Yankees. Uh, Buddy Bell, he was a good Texas. one. Texas, yeah. Who was? Or he might have been Cleveland then. He was Cleveland then. Might have been. No, he went to the Rangers at some time. And in offense, Sal Bando was a good Sal one. Bando. Sal Bando, he was good. And who was who were the arms at that time? Was it Gibson? Is, is no, he was in the he other was league. A, he, he was in, in the, the other league. Cardinal, so uh, the, the big arm? arms that year. Uh, that was Nolan. Yeah, Nolan Ryan, Frank Tanana. Frank used to throw really hard. Was he Minnesota? No, he was. They were both with the Angels. They were both in California. Yeah. It wasn't fun going home and playing in front of my family and friends facing those two guys. No, <laughs> it was it was tough. Did you have any early success against Nolan Ryan? Uh, I think it took a took a while. What you did know, he have? I think what? I I think I had more at bats off him than anybody else that's ever faced him. Really? Because he and I spent so much time in the American League together. And, um, and, uh, we were in the same division. So we played them a little bit more. And, um, I think uh, I didn't strike out the most often, but I, and somebody got more hits, but I, I think I hit 280 or 290 off him. But, uh, I mean, if, if his curveball was working, you weren't going to touch him. And then late in his career, he came up with a sinker. And, uh, and that when he got that sinker working, that was tough too. But, you know, I was a good fastball hitter. If he threw me fastballs, I could make contact. Was he your kind of guy? Like, would he would he never say a word? And never said just a humble, word. Just humble, just did his job. Well, it's funny. I was making all-star games, and it's funny. They put all the pitchers on one wall, and they put all the uh, position players, you know, on the other wall. You don't even say hi to the pitcher. I never said hi to him. Really? You know, the first time I think I ever said a word to him was he was starting an all-star game, and I was playing third base, and, you know, the bottom of the first inning or the whatever, they throw the ball down the second. He throws it to the shortstop. Shortstop throws it to me. And I walk up and I kind of toss it under him. And I said, come on, Nolan, have a good game, buddy. <laughs> I think the first time I ever said a word to him and never said a word to him after the game. Really? But I never, Chad, I wasn't the type of guy that would always go fraternize with the opposing team. There were some guys, certain guys on every team. You know, D Detroit always had a pretty good group of guys. But Robin Yount was a guy that I'd always, you know, go up and talk to why, around the why, cage. Why wasn't it more social? Is it more of that military upbringing to where they, they were well, the enemy, looked upon as an enemy and there was that you were that competitive? Well, I was competitive and I didn't want to go 
talk to somebody that's going to try to get me out. You Does know? it drive you nuts today to see how people are so lovey-dovey in, in the competitive During the world? games, yeah. During the games, it is. You know, I used to have a good time when I was playing first, or I'd always talk to the third base coach or a guy get on third. I would talk to him, but not before or after the game. You know, not before or after the game. Really? Yeah. So did you have – how you you came into the league and you were considered more of a – a blue, you know, just a go-getter. You would, you're not afraid to slide, dive, take somebody out. You kind of had that mentality, play the game hard. Did you start developing that reputation right away, or did that come later on as you got more ingrained in the Royals? Well, I, I think it came, you know, I always ran balls out. That was no problem. I always played with a lot of flair. That was no problem because I love to play. Um, and all of a sudden, I saw Hal McCray, my teammate. And I, I really think he's one of my best teammates I ever had because I learned so much from him. Uh, I started seeing him slide into second base and take these guys out, you know, and I said, man, I can do that. Why can't I do that? I started seeing him stretch singles into doubles, doubles into triples. I said, man, I can do that. Why can't I do that? And so when I started doing that, that's when I got the reputation of, man, this guy's balls to the wall, man. He's just going to go all out all the time. And it's amazing how good you feel if you hit a routine ground ball or a line drive just a little bit to the left of, of one of the outfielders and you bust your ass out of, out, of the, out of the box and he nonchalants it, gets over there and, you know, just kind of lobs it back in and you don't even stop and you slide in a second. Yeah. That's better than hitting a home run. Better. It's better than hitting a home run. And you make them look bad. And, and, and another thing, if you do that consistently – I always try to tell our guys that in the Royals, even in the big leagues and in the minor leagues, I always try to tell them, you, you, you got to do it. Whit Merrifield's had a great two years, last two years with the Royals. He's, he's a really a good player. He's fast. And we were in spring training one day, and I said, Whit, you get a base hit first at bat. I don't care where it is. Go for two. Just go for two. It's spring training. You're going to get a reputation of doing that. So then what are guys going to do on balls hitting the gap? They're going to run over and try to hurry up. They're going to get short hops. It's going to go, you know, they're make not going to, they're going to make mistakes. Yeah. You know, the faster you make the defense play, the more mistakes they're going to make. And, um, and he did it one time, I think in three years that he's been up, up with us. I said, just go. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you're up by 20 feet. Ned won't care if you're up by 20 feet. It's going to set, it's going to set an example of how we're going to play. And if you're the first guy out, and if they all of a sudden they go, oh my God, these guys came out to play today. Guess what? You're going to create some mistakes on defense. And the more mistakes they make on defense, the more chance you have to win. Yep, 100%. So, so at that time, when, you're, when you are seeing Hal McRae do this, no matter what happened at the end of Pete Rose's career, was he doing that in the National League at the time? Well, I think, well, Hal got traded from the Reds. So Hal played with Pete. And I think he learned from Pete Rose. Oh, okay, He learned so. from Pete Rose. So was at that time in your career, as Pete Rose looked at like, that's baseball, that's how the game is supposed to be played. I know that things have changed over with what happened, but doesn't, didn't he like have it together as far, or was he too much? Was he too abusive? No, to the other I don't team? think he, I don't think, you know, the one thing that he did that drove me crazy was when he walked, he would sprint to first, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just take your time and go to first. Nothing's going to happen, you know? Yeah. But you know, nowadays, you know, back in the old days, I, I I'll tell you what drives me crazy about the game today. Back in the old days, if you're facing Bob Gibson, Nolan Ryan, one of these guys, and a, and a guy gets up there with a big old elbow pad on, guess what? They're going to see if that thing works. And now everybody goes up with shin guards. They got the face masks now on their helmets. They got elbow guards. They got wrist guards. They got Mouth everything. Oh, my God. It just drives me crazy. 
drives me crazy. It does just to see all the just body to armor, see all the body like armor. Out, yeah, it, it's crazy. Well, is it because the game's also gotten soft? Haven't they taken even doing that from pitchers away? I mean, back about when you drilling guys, back when you played, oh, yeah. you would wear one all the time, or at least well, get some chin music, right? Not you personally, but in no, the game, I get it. I get you, it. You'd get yeah. it. They, the respect wasn't there to where they'd say, "Don't throw it, George." No, there was times I got thrown at. Really? Was, yeah, there was no doubt about it. You know, they they might have thought I went in too hard at the second baseman. You know, pissed their team off. <laughs> you know, so you're in in the mid seventies. Are you developing into? what would become the franchise you, you become a franchise player you play a, an unbelievable career in kansas city where you started you ended there never went anywhere still to this day did it start that early where the city starts to take a hold of you and you start to become their golden child or did that take into the 80s oh it was in the 70s uh i think it started maybe after my third year i won a batting championship and then i signed a five-year contract and when they give you a five-year contract guess what they have a lot of faith in you and if I signed a five-year contract, guess what? I have a lot of faith in the organization. We had just won our, our first division. The Oakland A's had won the division. They won the World Series in 73, 4, and 5, three years in a row. And we're in the same division with Oakland. Sal Bando, Reggie Jackson. Oh, God, uh, who else was on that team? Vita Blue, you know, Catfish Hunter, all those guys. And they had a great ball club, and we ended up beating them in 76 and i signed a five-year contract i think about that time and uh then all of a sudden after playing pretty good you know in the uh in the playoffs uh hit three home runs and in one game off catfish hit a home run in 76 off we we're down three runs in the last game i hit a three-run home run in the eighth inning that's when all of a sudden i felt a difference in town where people were kind of talking man this guy is pretty good you know, you know, and, and they really got behind me, but, um, so you're in the paper all the time, headlines, the news reporting on you a bunch, like you are becoming like, and I was single and everybody else was married and I had a reputation, you know, of going out and, and, um, partying, partying. So what is this? So they, they built this whole mystique up about me as a, as a Southern California guy living in Kansas city. Uh, I said all great things about the city. I was living here year round. Back then, up until, I'd say the mid-80s. Mid-80s, I lived in Kansas City year-round. And everybody else would go, a lot of guys would go home. So I was here all the time, all the time. So what's your dad saying? Is he still around? Is he still in your life when you're- Oh, yeah. So is he like, hey, your reputation's, you better get this under control yeah, he kind was, of deal? he was a little upset with me. Yeah. Well, he told me one time, he, he was mad at me, he got mad at me about something. I uh, didn't shave. I was on the, oh, it was the game of the week. Back in Tony Kubek and uh, Joe Garagiola days, they only had one game on TV a week, Saturday. Yep. And we were playing in Yankee Stadium, I think, and we were the game of the week and uh, did an interview before the game with uh, uh, Tony Kubek. And uh, when I got back to the hotel room, there was a message from my dad. If I ever see you on TV again and you're not clean shaven, I'm going to fly out there and kick your ass. Wow. Yeah. I was probably... 27, he left a message with who? The team guy? The team? No, my hotel room. With the, oh, it was on the message machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I came wow. back to my room. My roommate was Buck Martinez, and I, I saw the light flash, and I go, hey, who might have a chance to get lucky tonight, you know? <laughs> and that's my dad screaming at me. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, what, the year I almost hit 400. I come home, we go to his house for Thanksgiving. Go to his house for Thanksgiving. The first thing he says to me, I haven't seen him. We just lost seven, six games in the World Series. Uh, uh, 
had a good had a good uh, playoff series to get to the World Series. Uh, hit 375, I think, uh, in the World Series. And the first thing he says to me when I walked into his house was, "You mean to tell me you couldn't have got five more freaking hits on Thanksgiving? On Thanksgiving, first time I'd seen him." Wow. Yeah, since I went to spring training, well, since I played in Anaheim. So yeah. it was just never good enough. It was never good enough. And I like that. Because so it keeps you going. It just keeps you going. I never got content. Never got content. So did you take that same kind of fatherhood outlook into your kids where you were never, you were, nothing was ever good enough for what they did no. in school? or you? Everything was always good enough for me. But why after you well, liked I it wanted, so I, 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 I look at my kids and, and, and you've seen all three of them. They were linemen in high school. Jackson had the greatest line I've ever heard in my life. His freshman year, my oldest son, Jackson, he's going to high school. And last name, Brett, in Kansas City. Um, and the football coach comes up to him and says, oh, my God, Jackson, I can't wait to see you. You play football, don't you? And Jackson says, yes, sir, I play football. And the next thing he says, um, he says, your brothers play football? And he says, yeah. He says, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to have three Bretts in my high school. And right now there, well, Jackson was, uh, when he was a senior, Dylan was a junior and Robin was a freshman. And, uh, the coach is all excited. And Jackson says, coach, can I tell you something? And the uh, coach says, yeah, Jackson, what he says, don't be too excited. We got my dad's brains and my mom's athletic ability. And that's not a good combination. (laughs) It's the greatest line I have ever heard. So Jackson was the starting center a senior year and Dylan was the starting guard and you had dinner with him last night. Can you understand why? Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) I mean, they are, they're, they're big, they're guys. So they're linemen and and, and they play baseball. Dylan was pretty good baseball player. Uh, He was going to go to KU and pitch week before school started. He, uh, uh, we were body surfing in California, something that I grew up doing, something that he did not grow up doing growing up in the Midwest. And, you know, it's kind of tricky going over waves sometimes. I like to go under him, and he went over one, and it was at the crest, and it threw him on the shore and broke his shoulder so bad he never pitched again. Oh. And this was a week before his freshman year at Kansas University. Really? Yeah, so he never pitched again. He rehabbed. It went out for the team the next year. He lost like eight miles an hour off his fastball. Coach said, hey, I'd love to have you on the team. You won't travel. You'll just be here and practice with us, and maybe it'll come back. And he, I remember the conversation we had. He said, Dad, you know, what do you think? And I said, Dylan, you know what? If you, if, if you still enjoy playing baseball, go ahead. But if you don't enjoy it, you know, if you're not going to enjoy just being around and being one of the guys and not being able to compete, I just quit. Go graduate college, and then if your arm comes back, go, go, do, the, uh, go do the independent league and see what happens, you know? And he just kind of got away from baseball. So you never had the mindset like push, 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 push. No, because I knew I knew my kids were were never going to be good enough to to be, you know, a major league or a good college player. You know, I I really never thought that that. ever drive you nuts. Ever? No, God, no. Never once you thought, man, I wish I'd have had a better athlete. No. Mm -mm. It's amazing to me when you go to some of these games, and I've seen it at the eight year old level and the high school level. Both I have nephews in both. And to see the reaction to some parents, and I would never say names, but just to see the way they act or the way that they, you know, their kid's the all-star, their kid's the all-American, whatever they think he is. Every kid, well, not every kid, but I remember the kids that my kids played with. Kids that couldn't even, you know, they're 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 years old. Kid's going to be a stud. He's going to college. He's going to be a pro. Not one of them made it. Not, not one. one. 
the moms, the dads that had no background and baseball didn't play. And I would just look at him and go, are you kidding me? Do you know how many good kids there are better than, better than him? Can't, you know, baseball's not a big sport in Kansas city. You don't get a lot of guys getting drafted out of here and guys going to college. Right. You want to see some good baseball. You're in Vegas, right? Yeah. Or in Tahoe. Tahoe, Vegas, Tahoe, Southern yeah. California. You go there, you go to Florida, you go to Oklahoma, you go to Florida, you go to all Texas, those places. Yeah. yeah. That's where the good players are. Yeah. Up here, it's wrestling and hockey. Uh, football up here, it's football. You know what's getting big here is soccer. Really? Soccer's well, you guys got a pro really, team. We've got a pro team, and they have all these developmental leagues now. It's unbelievable. So... Your dad says this at Thanksgiving on, on, a, on a season to where nobody had ever hit 400 since Ted Williams did. And now right. you're, you're, give me the time frame. Like if, <clears throat> at 30 days out, are you still, like you're at 390, you're at 395? No, I'm at 400. At 400 at 30 days out. I'm at 400 with two weeks to go. With two weeks to go. Two weeks to go when we went to Seattle. And you've had a full season. Like you've had over 500 ABs and yeah. this is legit. So, you know, like some, the there's an established number to where you got to have a certain amount of ABs for it to well, count, right? what I did is I, I, what did I do that year? I was, I was stealing a base in Cleveland and I slid in. I knew it was going to be really close. And so I tried to take one extra step and I slid into the bag. I slid into the bag so hard I tore ligaments in my right ankle. So I missed six weeks of the season. So that year I played 117 games and I had 530 at bats, maybe. I think the limit is 502. I think I had 500 and like 25, 530 at bats. I played 117 games, had 118 RBIs. Yeah. At 390, but uh, came up five hits short. I like that ringtone. Yeah, came up five hits short. Uh, but I was over 300 with two weeks to go in the season. And we go to Seattle. I got one hit in Seattle. The only hit was a home run. And they had a shortstop, Mario Mendoza. He went behind second base, hard hit balls up the middle, would reach out, grab it, spin around, and I'd be out by a half a step. Did that two or three times. They had a center fielder named Johnny Moses, I think. I hit a ball in right center gap, and these guys are 30 games out of first place. You know, and we got a 30-game lead on everybody because we were so good that year. And he dives over and catches it. So instead of achievers, huh? Yeah, well, they just, you know, they didn't give up. This is 1980? 1980. So I, I, I think I went in there hitting 401 or 402. I left hitting like 392. And then we came home and uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, all of a sudden, the game got really hard. You know, Charlie Lau used to tell me when you're when you get off to a good start, you're playing poker with their money, and it's easier to play poker with their money. But if you get off the first half, you hit 250, you're playing catch up the rest of the year. So I had a lot of cushion. You know, I had it up as high as 407, and um, and uh, the game was easy when I was over 400. And then when I got under 400, I started pressing a little bit. I was 27 years old, and I'm saying, eh. You know, this is my chance. This is my chance. And then, and then I got down to, it got down to about as low as 382 when I hit 500 the last five games and got it back up to 390. And that's the highest average since Ted Williams hit it in 1941. But I missed it by five hits over six months. So you think one hit a month, you know, and I would have been over 400. And that's what your dad was getting at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are the what are the the pitchers doing? What's the league doing when they know you're getting ready to break, break one of the most prolific records in MLB history? Are, are the managers like you know they they're protecting you, or the pitchers feeding you? You know, are they feeding? No, that God, no, because they they got a living to make too. Yeah, so they, they don't have a give living. Yeah, 
they got to they have to make a living. They're not going to go out and lose a game so I can get a hit or two hits in a game. You know, they're not going to do that. They played hard. They they pitched me tough. And what's it around the clubhouse? What's it like? Is it pressure? Is everybody letting you have your space and well, relax? It was, was the media up your it ass? Was, it was really strange because I went over 400 uh, at home. And uh, I think there was a month and a half to go in the season. And, and so the next day we go to Texas. And this is back in the days when all of a sudden you were doing live shots from the stadium. Hey, can you come on our station at uh, 612? We're going to go live with you, you know, during, during the sports thing. Well. No, I can't. My group's taking batting practice that time, and that's the group I'm in, and I'm not switching groups. Hey, can you do an interview here? And next thing you know, I was doing like 15 interviews in one day. And so we had an old uh, uh, PR guy named Dean Vogelar, and Dean talked to Bob Fischel, who was the PR director for the New York Yankees in 1961 when Roger Maris was trying to break the home run record. And so Bob Fischel just organized a press conference every day. So you would only have to answer the same question once. So we started that the next day. And for a half hour before and after every game, uh, I would go talk to the media. Go walk down a hallway and into a little press area. And it was just me and who, whatever media was there. And it made life a lot easier. But nobody cared about winning games. Nobody cared. All they cared about was 400. And you, so you talk about yourself the whole time. And then, so I had to change my mindset once the game started. Frick the hits. You know, the hits are going to come. Don't go out and try to get hits. You know, just keep doing what you're doing. And after talking about hitting 400 for a month, all of a sudden it became really important to me. And then all of a sudden I got below and then I started pressing. But before that, I mean, it was, it was nothing. I was just going out there. Chad, when you're swinging the bat good, you're seeing the ball good. And, and as a result, if you see it good, you're going to hit it good. And, and, I, and then all of a sudden, I was starting to try too hard, and then I didn't see it as well, and then I started swinging at bad pitches. And once I figured I couldn't hit five, 400, I just said, screw it, you know, go out and have fun again. And sure enough, I hit 500 the last five games and got it back up to 390. But it was a good experience. I was 27 years old, and I said, well, I'm young enough. I can have another run at that. And sure enough, a couple of years later, I was at 365 at the All-Star break, played in every game. And father time or something caught up with me. I think I ended up hitting 329. But, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a good experience. It really What's was. What's the team doing when you're, when you're, you guys are tw 30 games above 500, 30 we games were, in first yeah. place? Well, we were 20, 20 games. You win the so. pennant in 80? Yeah. And this is your, you win the ALCS and, 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 or that you just win the American League Central and. No, we were the West Division. They had three divisions. Three divisions then. So no, it was two divisions then. We were the we were the uh, uh, what were we the uh, American League uh, West. West. Yeah, and then they had the American League East. So you and guys, so we went up against the Yankees in '80, and we swept them three straight games, and went to lose. Uh, we lost in six games to the Phillies in the World Series. In the World in Series, 80. yeah. And you, at the end of 1980 season, you've played, you've been in the league for seven years. You've got a World Series under your belt appearance. And you've got two batting titles already. No. Oh, in 80. In 80. In 80, yeah. You have uh, two well, batting I, titles. I won right? in 76. Uh, 76, the last game of the season, I won. Uh, got three, went three for four and beat Rod Carew and Hal McCray and Lyman Bostock. Last game of the year, we were all one point apart going into the last game and we're playing the Twins. Really? How ironic is that? And Rod Carew has won seven batting championships in a row. In a row. In a row. And so uh, I ended up getting three hits. Uh, I think Hal got two. Uh, Rod got one or two, but uh, got to hit my last at bat to win it. 
And then uh, in 80, it was a no-brainer. I won by 40 points. And then in 1990, won another one. So I won three batting championships in three decades. Which is one of the best baseball trivia questions in my life. I love asking yeah. people that. So what does Rod Crew do? Do you get a telegram from Rod Crew well, congratulating you? No, I got a handshake after the game. Um, after the game. And uh, really pissed him off because he went out the next year and hit 388. Wow. <laughs> he went hit 388. Was his vision just on a different level? What did he have that was so special? He his had, hands or He what? just had great hands. His and and hand. he wasn't a power hitter. And he, he could hit it. He could basically, I think, just pick out a spot and he's going to hit the ball right. He's going to wait for a pitch and hit the ball where nobody was. Was Boggs the same way? Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Do you like Wade Boggs? Did you like playing against Wade Boggs? Yeah. Was he a good opponent? He was a fun guy to play against. Did he play in Boston his whole career except for the no. Yankees at the very end? He played. Was he it just went two to, teams? He went to Boston, then he went to New York, and then his last year he played for Tampa Bay. Oh, he went to Tampa he, Bay. He grew right. up in Tampa. Oh, he did. So he went down there. He got his 3,000th hit in Tampa where he grew up. So that had to be a big thrill for him. No, he was a good player, a really good player. Does your dad congratulate you at the end of the second batting title at all? And now that you got two. Well, that t- was the one where I that missed was the five, five four by five hits. That was the five yeah. hits. No, he was happy for me. I, I don't get the wrong impression about my father. He passed away in, when did he pass away? 1992, I think, or 92 or 93. But, uh, you know, he was a great fan. He never came to games. He, he would go to the games in Anaheim. That's it never went to a playoff game, never went to a World Series game. He had, like I said earlier, that military uh, background. Um, he, he, if let's, let's just say I was, I was up to bat and I struck out or something and he, and people were heckling you. I think my dad would go over and beat the crap out of him, you know? And that's why he, he just kind of wanted to stay in the background. You know, he, yeah. he enjoyed watching games on TV. Um, I knew he was, he was proud of me and I knew that, but, uh, he just always kept on me. And I remember the day, uh, the night before he died, uh, I got a call from my wife. I was, uh, we were playing in Texas and I was at the Byron Nelson golf tournament. And all of a sudden we get a call. Your dad's not doing well. You got to get home right away. And I go, so I'm, I'm at the golf tournament. All of a sudden, some guy comes walking up to me. My wife, my wife gets, uh, she calls Hal McRae. She calls my room. Back then, no one had cell phones. So she calls Hal McRae and says, hey, Hal, I'm trying to get a hold of George. His dad's not doing well. He's got to get home. And so Hal says, well, he's at the golf tournament with my son. <laughs> so it, was, it wasn't Brian. It was his younger son, Cullen. So uh, I had rented a car, and we just went over to the golf tournament because Cullen was a big golf fan. Cullen was probably about 13 or 14 at the time. So all of a sudden, some guy comes. So then my wife calls the pro shop. My, my husband's there. You got to find him. He's probably following Freddie Couples. So sure enough, some guy comes up and says, hey, uh, are you George Brett? 99% of the time I say no. I get that all the time. And I said, yeah, why? He says, you got an emergency phone call. So I got to go to the pro shop, call my wife. I got your bags packed. You got a 530 flight. Get to the airport. I've already talked to Hal. Organization's got you a ticket. I get to the hospital and my brothers are there. Ironically enough, my brother Ken was an announcer for the California Angels. He gets the same call. He flies from New York to LA. I fly from Dallas to LA. Two different airlines. I get off my plane, get get in a cab, go to the hospital. He gets off his plane, gets in a cab, goes to the hospital. Our cabs pull up right behind each other. It was unbelievable. I pulled up in a cab right behind me, and it was my brother. Like a script. It was unbelievable. 
So we go up and my dad's not doing well. And he says, Hey, how'd you do last night? You know? And I said, I think I went over four struck out twice. And, um, and, uh, I said, ah, over four. And he just kind of gave me that look, you know, then he said, you hit a good though, didn't you? And I said, yeah, I didn't get a ball out of the infield. I lied to him <laughs> on his deathbed. Just cause I didn't, I didn't want him to get mad at me, Yeah, that been <laughs> but that's idea. the, re- that's the respect I had for him. You right. know, that's the respect I had for him. Yeah. So you, you, or this is 1980. And then one of the things that kind of was significant in your career happens three years later. And it, there was, I remember growing up as a kid, I had an 83 Fleer card and you're sitting in the dugout with Gaylord Perry. You remember that baseball card? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then you're, so what, what is the, everybody, I guess it's synonymous now, right? The pine tar incident was right. a big part of your career because sure. mainly because of the reaction but was there was there history there with Billy Martin? Was there something that that he was picking on you, or was it just off the cuff? All of a sudden, he got smart enough to go out and look at that bat when the, that ball went out of the yard. Well, Billy and I never really got along that well. He was a tough guy to play against, and he rubbed the opponents the wrong way. People loved playing for him, but nobody liked playing against him. And uh, evidently, Two weeks prior to that game, uh, we had some games in Kansas City against the uh, Yankees. I didn't get a hit to change the outcome of the game in the seventh or the eighth or the ninth inning, so they didn't say anything. They figured the, they thought the bat was illegal because I had too much pine tar on it. Uh, uh, on a bat, you can only have pine tar up 18 inches from the barrel, from the bottom. Mine was a 23. I had no idea about that rule. And so all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I hit a home run off Goose Gossage in the top of the ninth inning to give us the lead in Yankee stadium in Yankee stadium. And Billy comes out of the dugout after I cross home plate and tells the umpire that I was using an illegal bat and I'm sitting in the dugout, just minding my own business and the umpires are talking and then they go measure the bat cross home plate. Cause no one has a yardstick or a ruler in their, in their, uh, in their pocket. They know how wide the plate is. And so they measure my bat and all of a sudden the umpire calls me out and I go screaming across the field and throwing my arms up and, Another umpire comes up from behind me and starts choking me and throwing me to trying to throw me to the ground. And it, it, it looked a lot worse than it was. I wasn't going to hit the umpire. Tim McClellan's a good friend. He lives in Iowa. He's six foot five. He weighed 250 pounds. This, this is what he tells people when he goes on his speaking things because he's known as the pine tar guy, yeah. pine tar umpire. So he says, you know, I always ask George, what were you going to do? I'm six, five. I have a chest protector on. I have shin guards on. I have a mask in one hand and a bat in the other. What were you going to do to me? <laughs> that, but I mean, you, you went out there with reckless abandon though, because I mean, you're, you just hit a home run. Didn't you just take the lead right then? If the game was tied or something going into No, we the- were losing. We were losing by one run and goose came in and, and, uh, Guy got a hit, UL Washington got a hit in front of me. I think we were losing four to three. And then I came up and hit a two-run home run, which gave us the lead with two outs. And uh, and then when they called me out, they called me out, the Yankees ended up winning the game. John Sherholtz, our general manager, files a protest. Week and a half later, they rule in favor of the Royals. Now we have to fly back to New York on an off day and uh, play the game. Well, I didn't, we were on our way to Baltimore. I didn't have to go to the game because I was kicked out and they just said, George, we didn't want you to go there. So I went out and had dinner in uh, New Jersey uh, with our TWA sales rep, Larry Amici. And uh, we met the team when they came back off the, uh, off the bus from playing the game. 
And the Royals ended up winning. We ended up winning, yeah. So did you did the did the home run ever get reinstated? Yeah, the, the home run counted. So, so that's up, why we so had to go the, back because the game was over. When they called me out, that was the third out. So why, why did, how did the commissioner, when Sherholtz files the appeal, how does the commissioner come up with that judgment? Does he say that George was, we didn't do a good enough job of letting the players know that that's well, the Well, I don't know what, what, his, what his rule, what, what his thought process was. The only thing I remember him saying is the pine tar did not make the ball go out of the plate, go out of, go out of the ballpark. Right. It did not increase the distance. It didn't do anything. The reason they put that rule in, I found out years later, is that uh, Calvin Griffith, who owned the Minnesota Twins, wasn't known as a big spender, kind of did things on the cheap, you know, over the years. And uh, he was complaining that players had so much pine tar in their bat that every time they made contact to put a black smudge on the ball and teams had to buy the balls. And he, and he said, hey, it's costing me money, man. We got to get them, put the pine tar a little lower. It seems to me like a pine tar on a bat would, would do the opposite. Being traced over to the ball, though, would give the pitcher the advantage once yes. he gets the well, ball back in his back hands, Back in right? the day, back in the day, everybody used to cheat. I mean, they had pine tar on their gloves. And, you know, they had a guy from the Yankees not too long ago had it on his neck, you remember? Yeah. But they had guys with files in their pockets and on their gloves, sandpaper on their glove. And you go to a game now, every time the ball hits the dirt, they throw it out. Throw it out. Throw it out. Did, did pitchers, pitchers throw it out. Now, a pitcher, if they knew how to use that, Gaylord, Gaylord didn't, didn't know how to, you know, he didn't scuff balls. He seemed like he'd have a little barbersaw. He had something. He something. had something somewhere. <laughs> he reminds me of the guy in the Major he, League movie. He played, he played with us one year, and, and he came in one time, and it was 100 degrees out, and, and on the turf it's probably 130, and he's pitching on a Sunday day game or a Saturday day game, and he's sitting there in his jacket between innings. And somebody went to get his jacket. He says, don't touch my jacket. Don't anybody ever touch my jacket. <laughs> but you remember what he would do before he would throw a pitch, man? He would touch his hat, his ear, his head, yeah. his neck, his hat. His, you know, and they'd come out and they'd check it. And they couldn't find anything anywhere. That's amazing to me. But he did have a good sinker. It sure looked like a spitball. I know. It sure looked like one. Did you ever, did you, it's off the topic a little bit, but did you ever like just stand in, in, in a, against Quisenberry when he was playing with you? Did you ever just get in the box and watch his, did, he had a really whacked up delivery, right? Yeah. What, Submariner. What, what, what kept him in the major leagues though? Because it didn't seem like he had anything on Hitters them. were stupid. They just couldn't wait for the ball. The to, hitters to, were stupid. They all, they, they, they knew the ball was going to be going away from them. Left-handed hitters. Yeah. They knew the ball was, well, his ball moved so much. And, and I would just watch all these left-handers continually hit ground balls to Frank White, our second baseman, or to Steve Balboni, our first baseman. Just get out and Now, if I was going to face a guy like that, which I did, I faced Dan one time. He ended his career with St. Louis. And it was in spring training, and we're playing the Cardinals, and they brought him in. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I've seen Greg Nettles. I've seen so many guys hit ground balls to the second baseman. I'm going to hit a line drive to left field. I'm not going to try to pull him. So sure enough, I'm facing him about the second or third pitch he throws me. I hit a line drive to left center field. And I go for two, and it's a bang-bang play. Now, Dan had a, he had a love for life. I mean, he was a great guy. Never took anything too serious. And you really can't at that position, being a closer, throwing 84-mile-an-hour sinkers, yeah. you know. And, um, and you can't take life too seriously. And sure enough, I slide into second base, and the umpire says safe. And all of a sudden, I hear somebody say out, and he's got the pitching. He's going, you're out. 
And the umpire's going like this. I look up, it was Dan Quisenberry. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, how do the Royals play the Cardinals in spring training? Well, we used to be in, in, uh, in, uh, you Fort Myers. You guys were in, we were in Fort Myers. Fort? We were in Fort Myers for my, about my first 10 years. And then we're in Orlando my next 10 years. And really? now we're in Arizona. Now you're in Arizona. Yeah. But you have a place. You love Arizona. I love Arizona. It's a good place. It's an awesome I ne- place. I didn't like it at first. I love Florida. I just loved it. It's humid. You sweat a lot. Arizona, you really don't sweat that much because it's the air is so much drier. There's yeah. less humidity. But I, I tell you, the travel is so much better. The stadiums are so much nicer. Uh, you know, I like it so much. I bought a home out there, and I spend a lot of the winter there and all, all the spring. Yeah, it's a nice home. Yeah. Go out there in the fall, go out there in the spring, and I'm out there. You know, I was out there last year from Christmas till the end of March. Yep. So you've got 80, 83 now, the pine tar incident happens, media goes nuts on that. And then the next two years, you guys you guys kind of build into a a, a really strong organization as far as the talent well, level we were goes. Good. We were good. But I wouldn't say build in. We, in 1970s, um, from 76 to 85, we were in the playoffs seven times. Seven you know, times. so we had a pretty good, pretty good run. Uh, we we uh, made the playoffs in 76, 77, 78, lost by two games in 79. 80 were in the playoffs, 81 in the playoffs. Uh, 82, 83, 84 were in the playoffs, and 85 were in the playoffs. And we ended up winning the World Series in 85. So we had a great team. So it really wasn't all of a sudden we became a contender. So a sure holds responsible everybody, for that? Uh, Sherholtz and a guy named Joe Burke, who's since passed, uh, he was a general manager early in my career. And then John took over, um, you know, John took over probably around 79 or 80, I think. So what kind of season do you have in 85? What do you do in the, I had, that was my best year I've ever had in my life. Really? Yeah. What were you doing different? Uh, was well, the approach I, the exact I, I, same? Yeah. My approach was everything Charlie Lau taught me in 1970, 74, uh, everything, nothing changed my whole career. Um, uh, I was able to stay healthy. I played 159 games, um, uh, hit 335. Uh, what else did I do? Hit 30 home runs, had over 100 RBIs, 100 runs scored. And and the thing about our 85 team, we didn't have a good offense. Uh, we did it with pitching and defense. I think we were last in the league in runs scored and last in the league in home runs. Really? And uh, won the World Series. But we had a great pitching staff. We had Gubazaw, Saberhagen, Buddy Black, Danny Jackson, Charlie Lebrandt. We had a good bullpen. And we had really good defense. And we were fast. Stole a lot of bases. And um, covered a lot of ground in the outfield. And uh, we ended up uh, winning the World Series that year. Against St. Louis. Against St. Louis. Who was the pitcher that got all pissed off? Was it Tudor? Walking Andujar. Andujar. Yeah, Andujar. When the umpire... Kept calling balls that he thought were strikes yeah. in game seven, and then he just lost it. Did Tudor yeah. come in in the end of game seven? No, Tudor started game seven. He started, he started game okay, one, a- game four, and then he started tried to come back in game seven and didn't have it. Walked guys. Did he punch his hand through a window or something? Wasn't he, there a story about he lost Well, he, he came in, he threw his glove, and then he punched a fan. You know, one of those fans in the dug. Not a fan, really, a, a, someone that bought a ticket an fan. fan yeah. An air fan. And he uh, went in the dugout and he threw his glove and then he punched a fan and cut his finger and he had to go to the hospital and get stitches. But was that he, was like the third inning of the game. That was like third inning. Yeah, I think he lasted three innings. So you win on the turf in Bush Stadium, right? The, no, it was Kansas City. You guys won the seventh game in Kansas City. Yeah. 
We lost the first two games that year. It was funny. The first year, that was the first year, 1985, that the division series was seven games. We lose the first two games at Toronto, and Toronto on paper had a lot better team than we did. We win game three in Kansas City. We lose game four, win game five. We go to Toronto, win game six and seven. So now we're starting the World Series, and we're starting at home. We lose the first two games. We go to St. Louis. We win the third game, lose the fourth, win the fifth, come back and win six and seven. Same same thing. Down 2-0, down 3-1, and won three games in a row to win it all. Wow. That was pretty amazing. So this was obviously the highlight of your that was That career. was the best. That was the best moment. You know, it, when you win a World Series, it's it's – I've always said this. You know, it doesn't matter if you're the Cy Young Award winner, which we had, Brett Saberhagen. It doesn't matter if you're the Rolades Relief Pitcher of the Year. I don't know if Dan was that year or not. The MVP, which I wasn't. Uh, but it doesn't matter if you're the 25th guy on the team, the guy that doesn't play. You know, the utility guy that didn't play one game in the World Series or the clubhouse kid that shines your shoes every day and does your laundry. So when you leave the stadium after a game, you come back and you're, it's, uh, everything's in your locker like, like you never, never played a game before, you know? It's perfect. Everybody has the exact same feeling. It doesn't matter who you are. It's a team. It's a team. And, that's a- and last night at dinner, I was showing Chad, you know, our chef, from last night, yeah, besides Lord. you and I, you know, we all kind of helped out. I said, have you ever seen a World Series ring? He goes, yeah. I said, you want to see how they changed over the years? You remember I showed him the 85 yeah. World Series ring, then I showed him the 2015 World Series ring? Yeah. It's three times as big. A little different. And more. probably 10 times more expensive. Oh, yeah. You know? That's, that's some yeah. diamonds. Mm-hmm. So you're in, in 85, the World Series comes in, and then 86, 87, you guys draft arguably one of the greatest athletes in the history of sports, in my opinion, I don't know if you agree. You were with him on a daily basis, Bo Jackson. Yeah. Was it something special to watch? Just whether he was taking BP or running down a fly ball, and or you know just out running drills. Was, it, was did you know that he was a spectacular athlete? I knew he was a great athlete. We had another guy that was maybe one of the best athletes out there too, Willie Wilson, our center fielder. Willie I Wilson. played in a basketball game with him one time and uh, against the Chiefs, a charity game. He had defensive backs falling down guarding him. Really? And he just goes, goes up there. We're coming out. There's like 8,000 people here at a charity game. And we come running out and he goes first. He slam dunks it two hands behind his head. I go, what are you doing? I could barely, I couldn't even touch the rim, you right. know? But then Bo comes along. Willie didn't have all that fanfare. Willie Wilson was the number one draft pick by the Royals. He was also the number one running back in the state of New Jersey as a high school kid. And he was all state in, in basketball, I believe. So then, yeah, but you know, you never saw him play anything else. Bo Jackson, we saw play football. Everybody saw Bo Jackson play football. And I remember when they drafted him, they flew him into Kansas City and he come in the locker room and he had just won the Heisman Trophy. And he comes walking in and he's signing pictures of the Heisman, you know, the pose and putting them on guy's locker. Well, these guys are looking over Bo going, who the hell does this guy think he is? Oh, I put mine. I hung mine. I hung mine on my locker. It was there all year. It was there the next year for, I think, two or three years. I had it hanging in my locker still, the only guy in the team. Everybody else just ripped it in half and threw it away. So he goes to the minor leagues. He plays a little bit. Then he comes up, and he was the rawest player I've ever seen. He didn't even know how to play baseball. He didn't know what routes to take on balls because, you know, he didn't play a lot of baseball in college. He really didn't. He played football. And then, you know, he'd play some, some baseball at the end. But the whole time... 
like baseball players now, they play baseball year round. Bo was playing football half the time. And running track. And yeah, he was just an unbelievable guy. So he makes it to Kansas City and the next thing you know, you know, you're kind of watching him play and he's struggling, and, but you know, he's competitive. He became a really, really good player without, without taking, like when I became a, a really good player in my mind is when I started taking a lot of extra batting practice and learned what my swing was like. And I would go out there every day and take extra practice, extra batting practice, three o'clock on the road, four o'clock at home every day. Bo never did that. He just kind of figured it out. It took him a little longer and it worked out pretty good for him, but uh, he was a tremendous guy to this day, a great friend. Um, and, uh, and, uh, just a shame what, what could have been, you know, if he wouldn't I, I, pulled I, his hip I out cried. of socket. I cried when, I think he I was, was playing the, the Chiefs. Was he playing was, the Chiefs? No, it was, he was playing the, it was playing the Bengals. Bengals. Cincinnati. I was on the sidelines when he played for the Raiders. I grew up out there and they, 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 their practice facility was in El Segundo where I grew up and, and they bought the, uh, junior high school I went to. And that was the Raiders. They put fields out there and they had classrooms and, you know, it was, it was where they practiced. And then they would play their games in the Coliseum. And I remember going, I was living in Palm Springs a little bit in the winter. I would always drive in from Palm Springs if the Raiders had a day game or a home game. And I'd come in Friday, I'd stay in Manhattan Beach. And I'd go to the game Sunday and Bo would always get me sideline passes. And uh, I was at that game and uh, talking with Howie Long on the sidelines. And I, you know, I saw Bo go down and he didn't get up. And I'm going, oh, man, don't be hurt. Don't be hurt. Oh. So he comes over and, and, um, and uh, I, said, I, I was talking to him a little bit. And I said, what happened? Well, you all right? And he said, I think my hip came out of socket. I went back in. And I said, no, that's, that can't be good. All of a sudden, I'm talking to the team doctor. So I knew all these guys because my family also had a restaurant in Manhattan Beach. And these guys used to go to my restaurant a lot, me and my brother's restaurant, kind of a sports bar. And I'm going, Bo said his hip came out of a socket. He said, that's impossible. The doctor did. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what happened? He is so strong. The guy tackled him kind of from behind. And Bo was, and he was obviously pulling Bo down. He didn't want to go down. And he, and he just, he was so strong that he just lifted the guy basically up. And that's when his hip came out of socket. A couple of years later, he comes to spring training and they release him. Cause he was, uh, no, the, that year he comes to spring training and they ended up releasing him. He was he on crutches. He, he was on Chicago, crutches. Right? Then he goes to Chicago and man, you saw his gate when he ran, but, uh, and then to you Anaheim. Know, yeah. I but what, a, what, what a good teammate. He, he was a good teammate. And what I liked about him, he took a lot of pressure on me off me because whenever we'd go to cities, he was such a phenomenon. Everybody wanted to talk to him. Yeah. So I could just go about my work and not deal with the media. And at the same time, he was like, he was becoming like the Michael Jordan of baseball. Wasn't he? he had that big Nike campaign and he had endorsements. Oh, Bo everywhere. knows, Bo knows this. And you know what was so good about that when they got Gretzky playing hockey? He says, Bo knows hockey? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he knows what? You yeah, know, knows. Bo knows horse racing. Bo yeah. knows archery. Bo knows this. Bo knows that. Yeah, mountain biking. Everything. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was really good. He still is a good guy. He loves to hunt but he, fish, too. Oh, yeah. We got to get him out there. We yeah. were talking about that last night at yeah. dinner. When I, I got to... When, you talk, when are we going to talk some some duck hunting and I'm stuff? I'm about to, but you talk okay. about John Sherholtz. I got to meet the man in his office in Atlanta oh. um, down at Turner Field. And 
he told me a story that he was up in his office in Kauffman Stadium and he kept hearing a pound sound. Oh, that's so bold. You can't hear anything in your office when we're taking really? batting practice. Well, well, he, he was hearing something like a thump. And he's like, what the hell is that thumping sound? So he walks down into the clubhouse and Bo's got an, oh. an archery target set oh, up and he's shooting pra- practice arrows, yeah. you know, filters oh, yeah. into, the, was there. Into, the, into the target. I was there. He, he, had, said, he had the bales of hay and he had the bullseye and, and we had to put the uh, bales of hay down a hallway. And it was right through the middle of the locker room, out down by the showers. And he's sitting in, in his locker shooting his bow and arrow. And there's guys, you know, walking around, but hey, 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 watch out, watch out. He's shooting, you know. Oh, really? I got a hold of that bow. I'm not a big hunter. I got to hold that bow. I couldn't even pull the strings back. If I would have shot, if, if I would have shot the arrow, it would have went six feet. <laughs> <laughs> what, was, what was the most prolific thing you ever seen him do before we get off a of bow? Matt, he ran up a wall one time. Yeah, he threw Baltimore a guy out. was pretty funny. That threw was, a guy out in Seattle, which was pretty good. Like from um, the warning track, right? Like flat footed yeah, or something. Yeah. That was just amazing. Mm-hmm. The um, home run in the All Star game when him and Bonds yeah, went back to back. Yeah, that would be that would be. I, I think his first All Star game, they let him off in the first pitch or the second pitch. He had a home run that was so far it wasn't even funny. It was halfway up the backdrop in Anaheim Stadium. Uh, that was one of the things. Um, um, you know, I don't think anything. Well, one time he came by at my house. We he lived about two blocks from me. But when I lived, you know, I wasn't married, so I was living in a different place, a lot smaller place than this. And uh, he had a big home and and. Um, and all of a sudden he comes over, he's riding a Harley. This is like at 11 o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock in the morning. And, um, and, uh, comes in, we sit around BS a little bit. And he says, okay, I got to go. Linda's cooking fried catfish or something today. So sure enough, he goes out, I walk him outside. He gets out and gets on his Harley and, and he goes in my yard and he does a 360 like a figure eight like and a, saw it is just flying ever. I'm going, you son of a bitch. He just laughed. Did he, did he ever come to George Brett and say, Hey, I need it. I need it. I need you to give me a pointer here. Am no. I, am I flying open? No, like, nothing. Never did. Never. Mm-mm. He was just soft spoken and just yeah. tried to figure it out. He wasn't soft spoken. Was he coachable? Was he a good at, was he, yeah. good? was he, he listened. He, he listened. Loved. Yeah. That's pretty freaking cool. They, 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 they put me and Danny Tartable and him in, a, in the same group in spring training all the time. Danny Tartable was a big, strong guy too. And so our last round of BP, it was always, okay, last round three, if you hit one in, in between the 385 and the 385, you get one extra swing. If you hit it over the backdrop and straightaway center field, the pitcher, the batter's eye, you get two extra swings. I never hit one over the batter's eye. They did all the time. I could hit a home run between 385 and 385, but they would launch those things over that thing with ease. Really? Yeah. When you're coming up, George, in this 20-year career, obviously today with the social media and, and news cameras being so aggressive with paparazzi and TMZ sports and everything, it's almost like what professional athletes and celebrities like you are, we always know what they're doing, it seems like. Yeah. Did you, was it like that? No. I know it wasn't like, like that. It. I know that we didn't know when you were playing, but was the lifestyle there? Were you going, were you sitting ringside to a Muhammad Ali fight or a Mike Tyson fight? Like the athletes today do, you go to a UFC fight and you see Tom Brady sitting in the front row around the octagon. Was when you became Mr. Kansas City and three batting titles and a World Series champion and Silver Slugger awards and MVPs and everything that you did, is that happening in your life? Or are you just this quiet kid that's moved from California to Kansas City and you mind your own business. I used to go to Vegas for the fights a lot. 
Did you? I was sitting ringside with uh, my casino host, Johnny Oaks, at the Hilton when uh, Boom Boom Mancini killed, killed Dooku Kim. I was sitting ringside. Fight. I was sitting ringside. No way. I saw Hagler fight a bunch out there. I went to Muhammad Ali's last fight ever in the Bahamas uh, when he fought Trevor Burbeck, I believe it was. Really? In the Bahamas. Flew over there. Just so to how watch is this? Him fight. Ha- is this a network doing this, or who's no. doing? Who is no, your agent? Your no. agent? Your agent? No, I did, it, I did it on my own. Really? Yeah. You just get yeah. up and go. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So is that because you're a boxing fan, or was it just what you did? Was it part of the lifestyle? I I had an opportunity to go there and and get really good seats, and so I went, and so I went. I didn't go by myself. You know, always had you know not an entourage, but would always go with two or three guys. And, um, like when I was, uh, went over to, to, uh, the Bahamas to watch Ali's last fight, I happened to be in Tampa Bay and we were hearing, oh, the fights on uh, Tuesday night or something. Well, I was there for a week because my buddy played for Tampa Bay, Jimmy Obradovich, the guy that taught me how to do the uh, tri-tip. The tri-tip. So he played for Tampa Bay. And so we were there all week. And, uh, and so we said, Hey, let's go over there. Fight's Friday night. We can come back Saturday. So we left like Thursday, flew to the Bahamas. They, the fight was outside. It was the most unorganized thing I'd ever seen in my life. They didn't even have a, 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 a bell, you know, the ring. Yeah. So they had a cowbell. Somebody got a cowbell at the last minute, and that's how they would end a round and start a round, you really? know. But it was, uh, it was kind of fun. I love fun. Was, yeah. So you, you end up winning the batting title one more time in 90 to make it what you said, three batting titles, three different decades, and you end up playing for three more seasons, retiring after the 93 season, right? Right. right. So this 93 season, you're drafted in 71 in the second round, 29th pick out of El Segundo, California. You're in the big leagues in 73, 24 months later, 20 years later, you end a career, which doesn't happen very often with the same team. It doesn't happen like that very often. Right. Mike Trout might do it by the looks of it. Kind of looks that way, doesn't it? Yes. (laughs) Um, but that's an amazing career. So 93, you retire. It takes five years to get into the Hall of Fame, to be voted into the Hall of Fame. It's not a guarantee. You can be nominated and then the sports writers vote you in. Right. Rivera just received 100% of the votes first time in the history for a pitcher or any player. I don't know if that's. No, that's true. For, of any player or a pitcher? Any player. Any player. You were at what? You were 99. 98.9%. Yeah. So it's close. I was like the fourth highest total. Fourth highest total. Yeah. So where are you sitting when that phone call comes in? Do you remember that I day? was sitting uh, about a mile and a half from here at a house that I was living in then. And um, and my wife had said, uh, obviously, I knew it was January 5th. And, and I knew that's the day that they are, they're going to tally the votes. So I think the kids were all at school. Were you at school, Jackson? Oh, Jackson was the only one at school. And so he, um, he was gone. I got up in the morning, uh, probably got a good workout in. Uh, I was told that if I was going to get the call, it would be between nine and 11. So I got up in the morning and I probably took him to school. Mine's wandering a little bit, you know, it's going a hundred miles an hour. God, I wonder if I'm going to get in. And it used to be kind of, if you get 3000 hits, you're in, but you'd never, you never know. Um, and all of a sudden, uh, I go down and get a workout in. I have a couple friends of mine come over. There's some people from the Royals that were over there. And, uh, and the next thing you know, uh, frickin' phone rings. It's my brother. <laughs> and I go, hey, have you heard anything yet? I said, no, they're supposed to call. They haven't called yet. 
Well, just letting you know, we're going to New York. Me and my other brother, Ken, uh, my brother Bobby and Ken were flying to New York because that's where I was going that day if I got inducted. So by another 45 minutes, hours go by and I'm going, what the hell? I might, I must not have made it because I don't think they call and say, guess what? You didn't make it. You know, they only call if you make it. And I remember turning around to our PR director for the chief, or for the Royals and I said, hey, I'm not going to sit in this freaking house all day. I'm out of here. I'm going to give them another half hour. If they don't call within a half hour, I'm out of here. Sure enough, about 10 minutes later, I got the call and they told me, I, you know, I went in with the boat total. Fuck, I started bawling. And then they said, Robin Yount got in. So I said, well, that's great. Nolan Ryan got in with you. I said, man, this is going to be a fun trip, you know? Wow. Because yeah. we all retired the same year. Robin had 3,000 hits. No one had seven no-hitters. So you kind of think we're all getting in, but you don't know until you get the phone call. Were you the highest vote getter that year? No, Nolan. He got, Nolan, he so got Nolan like, like two more votes than I did. Really? And what really surprised me is Robin, he was MVP as a shortstop, MVP as a center fielder. Played in Milwaukee. He didn't play in as many postseason games as I did. Didn't make as many all-star games as I did. But he had 3,000 hits. He got like 79, 80%. That's all. And I thought he was one of the best players I ever played against. Is it because of the Milwaukee market or something? I I, I think so. But Kansas City's not that big of a market. But we played in so many bigger games. All the playoffs and all the stuff, you know? So... That's got to be the highlight of your career was the World Series. Now, this is an no, individual award. Well, the, that's the, the individual. Award. Yeah. So this. The, 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 the one in the World Series was the best thrill, biggest thrill of my life. And There's then, no doubt about that. And then when you get into 2014-15 and Ned's got this team of Kane and Hosmer and Moose and Wade Davis and, and Hoach and all these studs on this team, you guys get in the World Series in 14 mm-hmm. and you lose. To the Giants. Lost a tough one. To the Giants. Yeah. And it's one of those even year deals where San Francisco had done it in 10, 12, and 14, I yeah. believe. And Well, what was amazing about that, it was the first time the Royals, any of these guys had ever been in the playoffs. And you don't know how they're going to react once they get in. And sure enough, we uh, our first game was uh, the it was the wild card game. Yeah, talk and about that And then they came back. Card. They came back. They were down uh, four runs in the eighth inning or something and came back. It was one of the greatest games I've ever witnessed. And Dayton Moore was our general, is our general manager then and still is today. He said, George, if we go to the playoffs, you're going with us every game. I just want you around. You know, you'll be a good steadying influence for the guys in the locker room before the game. Go up and talk to them. I said, sure, no problem. So I got my bag packed and it doesn't look like we're going to go. And all of a sudden we make this rally and we fall behind in the 12th inning and then we come back and beat them. And so we go to, go to California. California had the best record in baseball, I think, that year. Yeah. The Angels. We swept them. Yep. Then we go to Baltimore. They had the second best record in baseball. We swept them. swept them. Then we go to the World Series, and we go to Game 7 of the World Series and ended up losing by one run, I think. Yeah, one run. That's in 14. In and 14. Then and then 15. Right? The 15 team was, you know, now these guys have been there before. I think they're all a little bit more relaxed and uh, ended up winning the World Series. In I remember the camera the being on you. One of the cameras is on you, obviously. You haven't been there since 85. Mm-hmm. Your reaction was, you were just as excited for these guys. And like you could see the jubilation on your face of this long, this lifelong romance between George Brett and the Kansas City Royals is now yeah. at like full climax again. Like you're up here in the Shakespearean play to where it's like rising action and the climax happens again. And your reaction is just like you're on the field and part of the team. Yeah, well, you know? I, well it's amazing because when these guys get drafted, I meet them their first year in the organization. Yeah. Moose, number one pick. Guess what? He comes to Kansas City. I go over, meet his mom, meet his dad, talk to Moose. You know, see him in spring training. 
Hosmer, first round pick. What, what happens? He comes to Kansas City. I'm at the game. Hey, Mr. Miss Hosmer, welcome to the organization. You know, hey, Eric, welcome to the organization. I do it with everybody. And then I go, well, I'm in spring training. I'm always in the minor league side. You know, I'm going down to watch the minor leaguers play. I get a chance to meet a lot of them. And so when they get caught up to, called up to the big leagues, you know, I, I know who they are. It's not like I'm meeting a total stranger. You know, so you have a personal. So I have a yeah, I have a connection with all these kids, and I was happy. Not only was I happy for them, but I was happy for the organization, and I was happy for the city of Kansas City. You know, they've won two world championships, or three. The soccer team has won, um, but uh, the Chiefs won, and uh, what year was that? Seventy one, I think. And the Royals won twice. And the Royals won twice now. And uh, we've won some major tournaments because Tom Watson's a Kansas Cityan. Yeah. You know, we've won some U.S. Opens. We've won some uh, Masters championships. But this town really gets behind its sports teams. And um, and it was really good to see. You I have a picture in my workout room. They had that parade in Kansas City. I was just going to bring it up. And we were uh, down at the, uh, uh, oh, where was that? No, it was the uh, where the speeches were oh, at Union Station. At Union Station, and and they're saying there's a million people on the street. It um, looks like it. I got a picture of my workout room. I've it's the that. damnest thing I've ever. I seen. I remember when it. Came, I remember Hoach was sending me some videos of it, and I was like, I've never seen a, a team parade like that. Yeah. I, to this day, I haven't. With all the championships that New England's won, or right. New well, I've, now it's old hat to them. You probably. Know? Yeah. But, I mean, Kansas City, you always hear that St. Louis has the best baseball fans. I've always heard that. Right. Kansas City's right there. Why is it? Why Is it just the, this part of the country that, that the, the fans are so established? Because they're intelligent fans. They understand the game, and they support the teams that come out. Did they, what was the parade like in 85? Was it the same kind of reaction? It was, it was yeah. Pretty phenomenal. It was, it was crazy. It was a different route. It was more in downtown. This one, we went from downtown Sprint Center to the Union Station. And so you're going down just regular streets. But there were people everywhere. George, is there any amount of money that the Yankees or the Red Sox could throw at George Brett right now to come be the VP of baseball operations at 66 <laughs> years old I'm that not you leaving. would pack up? You I'm would never leaving. leave this this city. I'm not leaving. You just love it that much. Well, it's home. It's, it was it's 46 it, years I've lived here. It was meant here. to be. Yeah, it's 46 years. What if they hired you but let you work out of Kansas City? Would you leave the Royals? Do I get my own airplane? <laughs> <laughs> that's what you said yesterday <laughs> do i get my own airplane <laughs> so there's, there's i've been spoiled yeah. i have friends with their own airplanes and it really spoils you i know I've and i am i am the master of bad luck when it comes to flying commercial you don't do it anymore well i do i do a lot you try not to try not to but i am the master of mechanicals i'm the master of oh the crew got in too late last night and now we're going to leave an hour later because they have to have dead time and yeah you're going to miss your connection Private how's this one goes. how's this one one time my wife and i are flying to hawaii going over to a friend of ours uh wife's or uh, a friend of ours daughter's baby shower or something and we were going to stay for the weekend and make a vacation out of it we are 20 minutes closer to the west coast as we are to hawaii okay the plane makes a u-turn somebody thinks they're having a heart attack on the plane we had to fly back to la everybody's got to get off the plane they got to clean it we ended up getting in about seven hours late because somebody thought they were having a heart a attack and they were not having a heart attack yeah how's that not good not That's good. the kind of luck I have on commercial airlines. 
So but, that's why any offers for me to leave is going to have to be and well, and just, a plane. <laughs> and a plane. And a G4. But Chad, you want a plane too, don't you? I, I, I Does Schrager give you a plane? Not not yet. Yeah. Well, you, you just you just brought Chad Ward into the conversation. The guys on the, the listeners on the podcast know exactly who Chad Ward is. But after spending the last 24 hours with the man and seeing his passion for the the Traeger and the food that he threw down on, it was almost last night. Like we became a, in a way we were like in a clubhouse atmosphere, bunch of buddies standing around picking at a bunch of food. Like we talked about at the beginning of this broad, right. broadcast, but his passion for, for, you know, he told you a story about how he became what he is in the barbecue world, leaving the software industry. It's kind of cool to see that passion for something to where everybody, after they put that first piece of tried tip in their mouth, they're like, oh, wow. Even Jigger was like, you've got to be kidding yeah, me. Like, I, he got was a text, excited. I got a text from him. He said that was some of the best, maybe the best meal I've ever had last night. Really? Yeah. And Jigger, how old's Jigger? Jigger, 72. He's eating a lot of meals. Yeah. Look at you, Chad Ward. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, but Chad. But you know what? You know what was crazy? The passion I think we all had for watching him do yeah, it, you good, know, because huh? first time I've ever really seen anybody cook on a Traeger. Yeah. But the weather wasn't ideal. No. I mean, what was it, 100 degrees here yesterday? It had to with be 100% humidity for and sure. And we are out there, we are out there with two Traegers going on. Yeah. One Traegers. 500 degrees for Syria. Yeah. And sweating big time. It was a, th- it was a three shirt day. <laughs> <laughs> But I, the, one of the main things that I that I asked you to come on this trip for, Ward, was because you have a, a huge fascination with George Brett's career as Absolutely. a baseball player coming up in Florida. You you said you wanted to meet George Brett, and, for sure. and you've told me that for two years. Mm-hmm. And then last night, we, you told me, you know, I'd really like to work with John Daly, and I text John Daly, go, hey, I'm with George Brett, and he texts me back and goes. I, he goes, I, I had the greatest day of my life. I played with Trump. And and then I said, FaceTime us. And then him and George Brett are talking. Yep. John Daly, George Brett, and we're standing there. But, like, that's two of your guys, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, I've always been a huge fan of George's, just the way he played the game. You know, one of the best hitters of all time. And just to be able to be here at his house and meet his kids and cook with him. I mean, it's a surreal experience. It's and awesome. what's surreal to me, George and Chad, is that you you have these different walks of life. Like, I'm a duck hunter. And I get to hang out with George Brett because I got invited into the Royals clubhouse at spring training because there was another duck hunter on the team that I befriended because of one of our brands. One thing leads to a next and we're eating dinner at George Brett's house and podcast with him. Your fascination and, and, and absolute love and passion for barbecue. And you've done, you've done this with another hall of famer too, Ken Griffey Jr. Who George played with his dad and against Griffey because Griffey came up in 88. Yeah. Yeah, I played against both of them. Both of them. Was he, was he a special talent? The junior? Oh God. First time you saw him take BP, you said, Oh my God. Why? What a find. Just hands and bats. Just perfect. Perfect swing. Yeah. Yeah, Best swing you've ever seen one of them. Mine was the best swing I've ever seen. <laughs> well, you can't answer. pick yours. <laughs> you can't pick yours. You can't pick yours. Okay. I'm going to say, yeah, his is pretty good. Is Barry Bonds a good hitter? Yeah. Strong hitter. Strong hitter. It's funny. I got weaker as I got older, though. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave I that used, right there. I used to crush balls that didn't go out. And I'm going, God, I used to, I, I crushed that ball that didn't go out. You know? What happened? God. Oh, well. What, that happens once in a while. What What did you think, though? I mean, what What are you thinking about the meal that you prepared? Because you said twice yesterday before we left the hotel, he was like, "Man, I got a little pressure on me right yeah. now." Oh, of course. Did you You wanted to? You want? And you did. You yeah. came through on everything. Thank you. Was everything exactly the way you wanted it? Yeah, I was. Su- I was super happy with the food. I mean, obviously, you're you're cooking on the Traeger and you're starting with Snake River Farms products. So, I mean, it's 
it's, you know, if you screwed up at that point, it's on you. You know what I mean? So, no, I, I was really happy with the food. I thought it was great. And George's brisket was delicious. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, how, would, now, would that have been uh, would that have been better if we did it on my green egg or? No, no it no, wouldn't have been. No, no. I, was, I was just saying that. How many times did I say, well, let's just put it in the green egg or my ABS or let's just put it on my alfresco gas, you know, uh, gas girl. You know, and they're going, George, no. We're not going to do that. We're going to cook everything. We're going to cook steaks in the Traeger. I go, that's impossible. And sure enough, we had maybe the best steak I've ever had. And it, was, it, was, it was incredible. It really was. I mean, it, we didn't even sit down. You remember? We just, oh, yeah. we just you, Every time you would cut something, we were all standing around you. Everybody would just reach over and grab a piece. Yeah. But that to me is like, like but that, that scene last night is what I consider a barbecue to be. Yeah. Everybody, you know, everybody had a cocktail, sitting around, great food, great conversation, good music playing. Like that's, that to me is a fun night, you know? Yeah. But George's took a little bit to fall in love with the Traeger. And it, Jackson behind us is the mm -hmm. one that really got into yeah, it yeah. when we were well, sending it. When, when I, I got my Traeger, Jackson, we turned it on and all it did was smoke. I'm going, I don't get this. Jack Jackson said, dad, can I have it? Cause he needed a barbecue. I said, yeah, go ahead and take it. I, I don't know how to work this thing. He kind of mastered it a little bit. He's cooked on it. He's a big tailgater for Kansas city chiefs games. Like pretty much everybody in Kansas city does. But uh, so he's kind of mastered it a little bit, but I think he got a pretty good lesson yesterday from big Chad. And, um, and after take testing the meat yesterday and seeing how easy it is, because I got that ABS system, and if you put something in for ten hours, yeah, you're feeding it. You're there. You're you're there for ten hours. Mm -hmm. With the Traeger, you you put it on and you leave for ten hours, and you come back, and then you got to go back to work. Yep. You know that's what was really impressed me. You put that brisket on at seven thirty. Went. And I put it on at seven in the morning yesterday, and then I walked my dog at. Uh, I, I went. And crossword puzzle school. I call it. I have coffee with these guys at eight o'clock, and we do the crossword together. One guy's really good. I'm trying to get better. And then I walked my dog. Then I worked out. Then I had to go to a luncheon. And then I came back at one. And you guys came over at one. And I, that thing's been on since seven. And we took it off at three. We wrapped it at three and wrapped it, it at three. About 530. Yeah. Yeah. But how, awesome. hey, how about the peaches last night? Put peaches. On a Traeger. On a Traeger. Yeah. With that was with, unbelievable. With meat rub, sweet yeah. meat rub, the old fashioned from Whiskey Bent, little whipped cream and a little agave sauce, and they were awesome. Oh my god! And the asparagus, it was a five pound night. Out of it here. was a five pound uh, night. Usually a five pound. Well, no, I've, we, already, I've already worked out. We sweated out six pounds during the day and put five pounds on. Yeah. Dinner. <laughs> we truly did. God, it was hot yesterday. So the other thing in your life, George, right now is, and you made a uh, comment yesterday that you might not play again, but a year, uh, four months ago in Arizona, you were, you were, golf was your deal. I mean, you play every yeah. day. It's a big well, passion. I don't play every day, but I, I do love the game. You do. I used to love the game until three days ago. I shot uh, 88. <laughs> 88. On I mean, I was cruising every time playing, you know, 70s every time you play for the last three or four years. And uh, I was one under after two holes, and then the wheels came off, and I couldn't get them back off. <laughs> did you play that? Did you play that much when you were playing for the Royals? No, only on would off days. Have, would it have screwed your swing up at all? Did no, it ever? but you just don't. You just I'd play every off day, really. But you just don't have the time. I mean, you 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 got to be at the ballpark at three o'clock in the afternoon, and I like to get there two thirty or two every day, and I'm not going to get up at six thirty seven in the morning to go play a stupid round of golf. When you got to play a baseball game that night. 
George, I have a question for you on an argument I had in Argentina. My brother was there. We were down there on a duck hunt a year ago right now. And I made a comment to two guys that work full-time for Benelli in Maryland. I said, baseball players are the best athletes in the world, in my opinion. And I said, baseball, hitting a baseball is scientifically proven to be the hardest thing to do in sports. You only have to do it three out of 10 times to be considered an all-star or to be considered good. And I said, I really feel that if you take 10 legitimate baseball players, 10 football players, 10 basketball players, 10 swimmers, all this stuff. And you put them in an Olympic trial kind of deal where they got to play baseball, hit a ball in a cage. They got a bowl. They got to play ping pong. They have to catch a football. They have to shoot a basketball. I'm taking baseball players as being the athletes that can do all of that. Is that fair to say, or am I off my rocker with that? I don't think football players come into the cage and look like they know what they're doing. Like a baseball player can go run a pattern and catch a football from a home. No, I would, I would, I would say that. The greatest uh, explanation I've ever heard of baseball, how hard it is, is that is they give you a round bat and they throw a round ball and you have to hit it square. Yes. Yeah. And there's something about the hand and, 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 and there's no other sport that you fail seven out of ten times in your in your stud. You show me a, a quarterback in the NFL that that completes thirty percent of his passes, or yeah. a, or a kicker that kicks, you know. 30% field goals or a basketball player that shoots 30% from the field. And if you fail, they're not, they're not going to be around, but baseball you're around. If you, you're around a long time, if you get one hit out of every four times, out of four times. if you fail 75% of the time, all, all, all at the same of a time as playing 162 games a season, yeah. which is a long season, a uh, lot of games. You think? And you're, you have a lot of opportunity to fail because if you fell 0 for 4 on Thursday, you come right back Friday. Yes, you can succeed again, but if you're in a slump, it keeps going. Football, you get seven days off, or now right. they play like every four days or whatever. But is it? do you understand what I'm saying? No, I, I, think you I, take I, the I agree with players. you. I agree with you 100%. And plus, in, in, uh, um, you know, basketball probably does the same thing. Hockey, probably, you know, hockey I, w- I would throw hockey up there with baseball more than basketball and football. I think hockey would be up there. Um, but, uh, you got, uh, you got, um, oh, my dog just bothered me. So, uh, what was I going to say? I forgot where, where no, I was we're going. Talk, we're talking, my dog just jumped on my lap. We're talking about sure. how hard baseball is. And what I want to make sure is that when I get in a swimming pool and I do what an Olympic swimmer would do, if I try to do that, I'm not saying that's easy. That is impo- no, it's impossible. All, all, all these sports are difficult. They're so hard. They're hard. I'm not saying that golf, what Tom Watson has done or what Tiger did is impossible. I'm just saying if you take the top 10 golfers in the world and put them up in all these athletic events against the top baseball guys, I think the baseball guys are going to shine over the golfers and catching a football, shooting a basketball, hitting a baseball. I saw Tom Watson take BP in Arizona and he can't hit a baseball, but he can hit the hell out of a golf ball. Can he? <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty good at golf that's what i'm saying he's pretty good he can hit the hell out of a golf ball yeah. but well, i i guess i i'm not trying to sound biased i'm just saying that hit, baseball is freaking hard yeah it's a hard sport to play i truly feel that about baseball players that they say oh they can be overweight they can be out of shape i'm like no they really can't now some baseball players have, like the pitcher on the what's his name cologne he's like 50 now and he's never really looked like an athlete and he What's Bartolo? Bartolo, Bartolo Colon. He, he's a stud, but I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, he's not pitching this year, is he? Did he retire? I don't know. I thought it was impossible for him to retire. He's in AAA. Still playing. He's got to be 45 years yeah. old. Anyway, so life after baseball brought you into the Royals organization. You're now 
a liaison, a full-time employee. What do you do for the Royals now? Are you uh, are you the VP of baseball? You were, At one time, you're the VP of baseball operations, right? Yeah, I, I still am. You still are? Yeah. That's your current position with the Royals? I was named that. Uh, that was given to me, that title, um, in 1987. Um, I was still playing. The VP of baseball operations. If I retire with the Royals. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That you was the been- last contract I signed, and I signed it with a, a guy that was part owner, of the, uh, part owner of the Royals, Dan Avern Fogelman, and um, and uh, he called it a lifetime contract when I signed it. And he said, "If you retire with the Royals, because that took me up my I, my last contract, it was it was took me to forty years, forty years old, and and." If I was going to become a free agent and go play someplace else, you know, I didn't. No one knew. And so he said, if you end your career with the Royals, and it was in my contract, you'll be the vice president of baseball operations. Well, that was given to me in 1987 or 88. Wow. So I still am. Ask me what I do. I don't know what I do. Do you have a, do you have a business card? I used to. You used to? Yeah. I quit printing them? Quit printing them. I don't even have an ID. I just, I go to as many games as I can. And I sit with our general manager uh, for five or six innings a game. And sometimes he asks me questions about personnel on the team. And sometimes he doesn't. And uh, he'll ask my advice on certain things. And uh, I go to spring training every year. Uh, I used to throw BP every year until I blew out my shoulder again. And I'm not going to get it fixed because I've already had it fixed twice. And I just don't want to do it anymore. So uh, I go to spring training and I, I kind of... Just walk around. I have free reign. I can do whatever I want to do and visit with the players and give them my input of what they have to get better in and how to get better. And, you know, why do you do this? And why didn't you do this? Stuff like that. And then I go to a lot of minor league games and watch them play, George. get to know them a little bit. So it's, uh, you know, baseball has been in my blood since I was seven years old playing Little League Baseball. And it still is at 66. I've, I've read some quotes that that teammates had said, there was one quote that was written about you, about George Brett that said, when George goes to heaven, there's going to be, there's going to be Mickey and, and Babe Ruth and these guys up there. And as soon as you come through the Pearl Gate, I don't know if you've heard this quote, I could find it and read it to you. But when you come through the Pearly Gates and you get to heaven, all of them are going to be like, oh my God, George Brett's here. Oh, get out of here. I swear I read it. And I'll tell you who said it. Will you go through that list and find out that quote? Um, there's a quote that says when George gets to heaven, Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle and these guys are going to see him come through the pearly gates and go, oh, my God, George Brett's here. That's George Brett. Meaning that that's how significant your career was, that the all-time great, they put you up there at the all-time greats. What would somebody like Dick Hauser say about you? Which Dick Hauser was your manager in Kansas City. Right. that passing away. What would it, I want to know. I just have a couple guys. I want to know what Dick Hauser, Mike Schmidt would say you play against Mike Schmidt was coming up at the same time as you third baseman for the Philadelphia Phillies and all he was an all-star he was a hall of famer these guys say the same exact thing about George Brett every time or would anybody falter off of that line if he was one of the no, greatest well Dick Dick Hauser would say uh he was the easiest guy I ever had to manage because he didn't have to manage me you know I'd go out and play every day just go out and play and I'd play hard every day and I think Schmidt would say um um uh, Maybe the maybe the second best third baseman I've seen besides myself. That's what he would say. <laughs> <laughs> or the third best, you know. It's, it's funny when I got inducted in the Hall of Fame, Brooks Robinson was there and Mike Schmidt was there, and mm-hmm. I never really knew Mike that well. I played against him in All Star games and I played against him in the in the World Series. Uh, 
and because uh, he was in the, in the other league. And so all of a sudden I get inducted in the Hall of Fame and I, I'm visiting with him. We're having a good time. And he says afterwards, he said, are you, so are you going to come back next year? And I said, uh, I said, yeah, I'll come back. Why? And he says, well, I haven't, because this is the first year I've come back since I've been inducted. And I go, why is that? And he said, I wanted to see you and Robin get in and no one. That's uh, awesome. And I said, well, let's make a pact. Let's come back every year. He said, okay. So every year I hang out with him. Mike Schmidt and his wife, Donna, and my wife have become really good friends. Robin Yount, because I've been really good friends with Robin. Paul Molitor, hang out a lot with him. And, um, and I look forward to seeing Mike. Mike, more than anybody. Schmitty. Yeah. So he's become one of your good friends yeah, in baseball. Yeah, a great, great friend. And Reggie. I hang out with Reggie a lot there. And that goes back to I hated to you. Reggie playing against him, too. Yeah. Didn't like him. But when I go to Cooperstown, when I first year I went, me and Brooks and... and um, we were the only third baseman that were there. Really? And uh, so we got our picture taken. And so uh, we said, and everybody is always saying, okay, who's better? Brooks, you know, because Brooks won 17 gold gloves, hit probably 260 career lifetime. Schmitty hit 500 home runs, won a bunch of gold gloves, and hit, you know, 250 lifetime. And I hit 300 lifetime with 3,000 hits. So there, everybody's trying to compare us all the time. And Schmitty usually comes out first, and me and Brooksy come in second and third. Really? Yeah. But that's all right. Did you have a strong arm? Yeah. You it didn't. wasn't very accurate, though. It took me a while to hone in first base. Really? I made a lot of throwing errors. The, I had bad mechanics. The man that said that quote about heaven was Fred White. Do they mean Frank White? Or was no, there a Fred, Fred White? Fred White was our announcer for a long time. I think when George goes to heaven, no. there will be Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and a few of the other really, really great ones all hanging around together. And when he walks through, one of them will say, hey, that's George Brett by Fred White. Well, so Fred, that, that's kind of saying. Fred, Fred's an announcer. You know, he was a good friend for a long time. So he's he, just, pro he probably called me. He probably called tw 20 years of my games. Really? Or 19 years of my games. Any regrets professionally as a baseball player that you could say right now? Do you have any regret? Did you, should you have worked out more? Should you have died yeah, in I, nutrition I, No, I, I, I should have worked out more. I didn't start working out until 1984 really? in the offseason of 84. I'd go to spring training. That's what spring training was for, to get in shape. Really? I remember living in Blue Springs, Missouri, and a guy that what my teammate delivered, he was a driver for UPS in the offseason because the minimum salary was $14,000 a year, and he had two kids. And he couldn't afford, you know, to support his wife and have a house and all this stuff. And, and uh, so as soon as the season ended, guess what he did? He drove a UPS truck. And one day my mom sent me something and Roger dro dropped it off at the house. <laughs> really? <laughs> I go, what are you doing? <laughs> and then I bought my first house in Blue Springs, Missouri. And my, my teammate was my realtor, Paul Splitorf. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. You think the, any of these guys playing now have jobs in the off season? I'll hear Mike Trout is an Uber driver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he could be. Well, George, this has been amazing to me. I was, like I said, I, I know that we become friends. I don't need to kiss your ass at all, but your career, what it meant to us going to Oakland and seeing you play and just living it. You've seen, you haven't seen my baseball card collection and you would say that I'm batshit crazy if you did see how many baseball cards I have of you. And it was just always you. I had three favorites. It was you and Bo and, and Matt Williams because Matt was a local guy from our area. And yeah. He played in the Bay Area. He's a I, good third baseman. Yeah, he was a good third baseman. He, he was, was on the track of the home run record when the strike hit, remember? He was like, he had hit like 41 or something oh, when, that right? when the strike hit. Yeah, it was Matt wow. Williams that was in, in Ray. Chad Ward, Traeger, do you have any other comments for Mr. George Brett? 
It's been a pleasure. And uh, whenever you want to put a plant in that green egg, we can get it done. Yeah, I've got to. <laughs> I tell you, we, we, we had a good time yesterday. Because, oh, I, I, again, I, I think we got to thank Traeger for, for bringing Chad out here. Because I have learned so much. And I think my son Jackson did. Mitch, meet Mitch, who is uh, this guy that competes against you yep. on the barbecue circuit. He, um, he uh, is a big ABS guy. Yep. And you sent him a Traeger. He had he didn't know how to work it, so he came over. He lived about lives about two blocks from me. He came over last night. He saw it, and he says, "Oh my God, George, look at this! This is perfect." So we're kind of excited. We're going to be the Traeger team, me and Mitchie, from now on, and and I'm um, looking forward to it. Well, Love I'm it. so glad that that happened because it was like when I heard you say you cannot cook a steak on a Traeger, I'm like. Oh, wow. This is going to be amazing when I, when they taste that first bite. <laughs> but I've learned so much for them too, because of the passion behind it. And people yeah. think like, you do hear it a lot. Like anybody can cook on a trailer and that's why their sales have gone through the roof. Their marketing's awesome. It's a great brand because you can, but to do it like he does and to have all those different recipes rolling, it takes time and a lot of love and passion. Well, and let me, let me ask you a question, Chad. Um, if I go on YouTube, you have videos and stuff th- on There's YouTube? some out there that I've done. There's some out there that Traeger's done, but yeah, there's a lot of content. So you there. could just watch, you know, just watch it. Okay. I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to do chicken today yep and you go uh traeger chicken yep yes, and sir. then you can figure out what to do okay or, if you're going to do this do you start it off at 225 degrees for 30 minutes and then crank it up to 400 for 10 minutes and you're done yeah or, That's you, it. or, or you just do like chad belding does and you just going to tell him <laughs> you do I, but i don't do it a lot but i would say george the best thing to do is you shoot him a text you say look i got 15 chicken breasts going on tonight which rub what temperature and for how long he lays it out you you keep that in your text chain you go back to it and refer to it every time yeah. i probably got 10 of those in the last year and a half to where i'm just i just just want simple little things like, hey, these ribs weren't perfect. How do I get them perfect? It'll boom, boom, boom. I follow the lead. Done. Right. So I would just text him and let him lay it out instead of going on YouTube. But George, have you ever seen this picture that we've showed you? This is I when, think that's you. You and your brothers. Yeah, that's yeah. when we were all in the Royals oh in 1987. Look at, that. Look at that. Yeah. I mean, I know that you can you can just tell who the best looking one is, but we're all pretty cute. Isn't that cool? Who's got the buck teeth? <laughs> is that Clay? <laughs> that's Clay. Is that you? <laughs> Oh my God! Look, you look like a bunny rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> you look like a little bunny rabbit. Oh, no. that's awesome. My, my nickname growing up was Bugs Bunny. <laughs> I don't know why they would call you Bugs Bunny. What's up, Doc? <laughs> George, that's it. I, I just I, I appreciate everything. I did want to go into one story, but it's been. I don't know if you want to. I don't know if you want to touch on it. It's the. The YouTube sensation that we've touched on before. Have that- you ever gotten sick? <laughs> Have you ever gotten sick? Yes. Have you ever gotten sick, Jack? Yes, sir. Clay, you ever gotten sick? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jackson, you ever gotten sick? I got sick. You ever got sick from bad crab legs? <laughs> oh. You know, those things go right through you. They go right through you. Oh, God. I've done about it. About an hour and a half. Sushi no, it, 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 it's about three hours. Three hours and, and, and your system's clean. Unfortunately, mine was clean in the lobby of a hotel. <laughs> you shit your pants. Well, I didn't. The the the, clamp, the, uh, the uh, crab just wanted to get out. You know, <laughs> crab just wanted out of there. You were wearing black bucks, no socks, no socks, blue jeans. Thank God. Thank God I wasn't wearing white pants. Well, that's one thing. You right can in the out. right in the lobby of the Bellagio Hotel. Or the, no, I think it was the Mirage Hotel, but I had to walk to the Bellagio because I couldn't get in the cab. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's freaking oh. unbelievable, man. Yeah, that was that was a bad one. It was. So 
you like where the game is right now. The Royals are struggling a little bit this year, but they're just going to go back into a rebuilding process. Yeah, and I don't think it's going to take 30 years like it did last time. I think we got a lot of good young pitching in the minor leagues. I think Mondesi's a good player, going to be a really good player. Dozier's really had a breakout year. Soler's had a breakout year. I think Mondesi could be the best player in the game someday. Um, got a lot of great pitching in the minor leagues, and you got Whit Merrifield and Bubba Starlin's actually doing pretty good in the major leagues, first time up, and and uh, we're playing this year without Salvi. So, uh, yeah, I think the future's bright. You're excited for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hated seeing that team get disassembled. It was only it was together well, for it, a short it, it year. It has to happen. It has to happen when you have a market as small as Kansas City. You know, our local TV revenue, I think this year is fifteen million bucks. You know, the Yankees is what five hundred million. Yeah. The Dodgers is two hundred million. Ours is fifteen. Well, Milwaukee got two of them. Huh? Milwaukee and San Diego got the main the main ones, right? Milwaukee got Kane and Moose. Yeah, and then San Diego got Hosmer. Right. I was just like, man, I just wish they'd have stayed together a couple more years. It but been you can't a- keep them all. Yeah. No, you, can't. you can't keep them all. That's yeah. the problem. So what? where do we go from here? We're going to go to the game tonight. We're we're gonna, gonna, uh, we did a tomahawk chop today. Yeah. A big old tomahawk. That, from Snake uh, River Farms. From Snake River Farms. I Which got some chicken because I wanted to try some chicken. Of course, I didn't get to see how you did it, but. Oh, I, I saved it. We're going to put it on right after the oh, podcast. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So I get to see chicken because I like to cook chicken more than anything else on the grill. And um, and uh, then we're going to go to the ball game. I got a nice sweet for us tonight. Uh, we're going to try to get there probably. No, we'll probably see Ned tomorrow because the first game of a series, he's usually pretty booked. Yeah. You know, and especially against the Cardinals. Yeah. He'll have a lot going on. So we'll try. We'll get out there maybe a little early tomorrow. Uh, I'll get another sweet for us and. Go out and say hi to Ned and um, look at a duck hunting property tomorrow too, maybe, huh? Oh yeah, we're going to go out to a friend of mine's ranch, Maple Ranch, which is I think is probably the best private duck club in the country. Really, and it's an hour from here. Really, yeah. So we'll do that, and uh, tomorrow that'll be our our big deal tomorrow. Okay, and since I Facetime John Daly to talk to you last night because he wanted to talk to you, can we Facetime Bo Jackson today? Yeah. We'll Say try. What's Say what's up, Bo. If, if I got his number on my phone. You did. You checked last night. Did I? Yeah. Yep. Sometimes he changes his phone. He does. He changes it a lot. He does. Yeah. And then guess how you get a hold of him? You wait for him to call you. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get a hold of Bo usually. Yeah. It's in be- Oh, here it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's see if I got it. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. Huh? Okay, let me see. What do I got? Okay, I got to go to phone, contacts, J. Yeah. We'll try it. We're going to try it today. Bo, we're coming for we'll you. Try we want it you today. to come duck hunt. Let's put together a duck hunt down there at David's in Mississippi. Yeah, I like that. I liked his son last night, too. He's a good kid. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Big hunter, too. Yeah. He's got, he's got duck calls all over his uh, rear view mirror in his pickup truck. Heck yeah. He knows what's up. Did uh, your down boy, in Jackson, did, Mississippi. Down in Jackson, Mississippi, yeah. So you have anything left to say? Is there anything that you want to know? I mean, I know that I know that you're into duck hunting. You know that's how we met as far as Well, I'm as not it. into it. You know, I I like walking the well, I like watching the dog dogs work. To me, that's incredible. Yeah. Hell they'll just sit right there and then all of a sudden you shoot and it jumps off the little blind and jumps in the water and swims through and next thing you know, it grabs a duck and brings it back and, and then it's on the Traga. Yeah. Well that is the best part of it. it, it it's amazing to me. I'm not a good shot, though. You could become one. You're yeah. a good golfer, and you hit a baseball 330. Yeah. You, you, what was your career average? 305. 305 you ended at. What was that? Huh? 
305. I did not know that. Oh, you probably just Googled it, is what you did. That's what I did. <laughs> That's what <you> did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question. What's the bet? What's the, besides the World Series, what's your most favorite accomplishment playing for the Kansas City Royals in 20 years from 73? Playing, playing with the Kansas City Royals? Besides the World Series championship. Um, I would say kissing home plate, my last home game. You got that picture in your office. I got, my, I got it at my, uh, I don't, I don't, it's not my office. It's in the hallway yeah. or it's in my workout room, I think. In your workout room. I think it's in the workout room. There was a, there was a scout that used to come watch us play all the time, Hank Bauer, really good Yankee player. And Hank lived in Kansas City and he worked for the Yankees and, and he became a really good friend of mine. And, and we'd go play in a golf tournament every year the day after the season ended in Wichita, Kansas for a uh, uh, rainbow school uh for challenge kids and so we would go down there and hank would be on the bus with us and the next thing you know it was fred white's uh the guy that had that comment mm -hmm. and so uh we did a all the guys in the team would do it that played golf so we would take a bus down and guys would say hank would get a little liquored up out on the way home and somebody would say hey hank what were my reports you know when when you filled out your reports on me to the yankees what'd you write Jamie, you should kiss out, kiss home plate every time you get to the ballpark. Hey, what was mine, Hank? You should kiss home plate every time you get to the ballpark. So all of a sudden, it was my last home game, and they take me around to say goodbye to everybody in a car. And all of a sudden, I hear Hank's voice. And there's Hank's there, but I obviously there's forty thousand people in the crowd, and I hear his voice. You should kiss home plate every time. So I st have stopped the car. I got to get out of the car, and I walked over and kissed home plate. Really? Just because you know, I was just very thankful for the opportunity to be a royal for all the all those years, and it was a way of saying goodbye. You know. So was that his way of telling you that you're lucky you're in the game still, and you yeah, should kiss your lucky stars that you're yeah. still there? <laughs> kiss home plate every time you get to that ballpark. <laughs> he would say that to you? No, no, no. no he would no. say it to a bunch of guys, the other players, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's your number one memory, or yeah, that's, that was a good one. Play. That was a good one. I that's like that. Awesome. Mm -hmm. What was your favorite? All did anything happen in an All Star game that stands out that made you that you remember or that you're known uh, for? We lost a lot of games when I was playing. It, 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 it's funny we would be winning and then all of a sudden we'd lose. And uh, Goose Gossage, when he was with the National League, he would come in and and strike out the side. And then when he was in the American League, would bring him in in the eighth inning and he'd give up two runs and we'd lose. You know, <laughs> and it was like, what's going on here? But uh, the game in San Francisco, uh, they were saying what a hard ballpark it was to hit it. You know, the ball doesn't travel good and stuff like that. My first at-bat hit a home run over the center field fence. Really? Yeah. Wow. So that was kind of a, that was a big thrill. Well, I say this has been awesome. Yeah. Clay, we looking good? This has been one of those deals where I'm just like, I could keep going, but I know George is sitting there going, if he asked me one more question about baseball, <laughs> and I got to sit here and think about that tomahawk and that chicken up there and that trailer, oh, man. I'm going to flip out. George, thank you so much. You Chad, Chad, thank you. Clay, Jackson, thank you guys so much. We're going to have you sign a couple of these for my brothers and I. I want to say thanks to one person, yeah. Luke Hochaver, yeah. for introducing me to you. Well, thank you, Luke. You guys. Because without Luke, Luke, you wouldn't be here. No. Without Luke... Other Chad wouldn't be here. No, and it's awesome. And without how that Luke, works. without Luke, I wouldn't have had that great meal last night. Yeah. So I think we all should write Luke a letter. Yeah. yeah. We should. I'd love to reach out to Luke. We what, gotta, what hat you got on? Oh, your gator hat. Gator coolers. Yeah. I haven't taken my gator hat off yet either. Yeah. 
Looks How about awesome. taking it off? Yeah. Walked the dogs in it today. Went to the grocery store to get some chicken today. I went, I went, I got here and I walked through the whole house. Today? Looking for that cooler and it's in the back of his truck. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm totally kidding, but I just oh. wanted to start some shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome, huh? This podcast, This Life Ain't For Everybody, was brought to you by... Traeger. Traeger Grills. Thank you, George Brett, for believing in Traeger. Chad Ward is one of the best barbecue magicians in the entire world, and uh, Traeger's lucky to have him just like he's lucky to have Traeger. Chad, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Check out Chad's brand, Whiskey Bent Barbecue, at whiskeybentbbq.com. Instagram, Whiskey Bent Barbecue. Check him out on all of his rubs, his sauces. He's the number one Traeger supplier in the southeast in the great state of florida check his physical store out in parkland florida he brings a lot of passion to our backyards and that's what traeger does he's making the backyard get out there and cook for your family your friends the camaraderie is awesome last night was perfect this episode's also been brought to you by our brothers the mcgee brothers southern louisiana gator coolers for more information on the podcast check us out at this life ain't for everybody.com Check out new episodes of The Foul Life appearing right now on the Outdoor Channel and check out our new line of duck calls at jargongamecalls.com. We truly appreciate all the support. We're humbled by it. We're out of here. We're headed for a tomahawk and then Kauffman Stadium to see the Royals play the Cardinals with Mr. George Brett and his son Jackson. Thank you all very much. Tom, hit that button. Leith Lofton, what you going to do when the money's all gone? Life on earth won't last that long. What you going to do when the money's all gone? Say life on earth won't last that long What you gonna do when the money's all gone?